Hello, everyone. Welcome to MTG Rants, the podcast formerly known as the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grayson. As always, I'm joined by Ross. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing quite well. I had myself a nice little nap before we recorded this. It was a longer yeah. nap. So I don't know how you are with napping, but every nap I take ends up being longer than I intend because I'm a good sleeper. Okay. Because I'm because I'm the best sleeper. I have the best sleep. <laughs> I, Sorry, I, I actually to. used to be the best sleeper. Talk to my mom when I was a kid. I would go to sleep. Yeah. Without, I would go to bed without being told. I because I just wanted to sleep. I would fall asleep instantly. She, the story she often tells is a time we were like we were out late doing something. I, I don't remember what it was, but we get home pretty late, and the the house we were in, you'd walk in, and there was a, like a little mud room with a coat rack where you throw your shoes. You know, just this little sort of cubicle. And then open it into a living room area. And the living room had a, a couch when you turn to the right along the wall, a love seat along the front wall. And then sort of opposite those across the diagonal was a, a chair uh, sort of, you know, to create that that circle. Uh, and it, and I literally the chair is, you know, five steps in from that opening mudroom. I, face planted in I, pretty much. I walked in, went dropped to my knees, put my head on the seat of the chair and was asleep. Like, I used the seat of the chair as a pillow on my knees and was, you know, dead asleep within s- seconds. Like, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I imagine they, like, enjoyed taking me to drive-in movies because I would always be asleep for the second movie. And that's sort of how, like, drive-in movies work when they're... So, so drive-in movies are always double features? Yeah. And the, the, so there was one, like, 30, 40 minutes away from us. In Those were never a thing where I lived. Yeah, we, we, we had an those. old drive-in theater uh, in the northern part of Connecticut, and I remember going to it a few times as a kid, and, like, when you, if you, the drive-in movies are almost always double features, and the second movie is always more adult-oriented, with the idea that the kids will be asleep for it. Um, Makes sense. And, and, you know, sometimes that's, that's not the case. I know we actually have one uh, here in Roanoke, or it's outside of Roanoke, but you know, within uh, under an hour drive, and I went, I went to it once several years ago, and we saw two horrible movies. It was um, it was Deadpool and Batman versus uh, Superman. So it was like those movies you know, have redeeming qualities, but okay. So Batman versus Superman is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's 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 not good. It's awful. <laughs> it's not good. It's awful. Um, sure. And Deadpool, while not being necessarily bad, I found very annoying. And I understand... It's really campy, and you're not a campy person. I... No, I like some campy things, actually. If it's something you're into, But it's both, like, campy and crude at the same time, and I found that combination off-putting. No, 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 I get it. And to kind of circle back to what you're saying, you're like, I don't know how you are of naps. Um, Yeah, yeah, I kind of went on a tangent there. I, I don't take them. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's why we named the show the way we did. Yeah. I don't take naps, actually. I hate naps. I'm one of those I'm one of those people, like, naps and I do not agree. Like, when I wake up, I'm disoriented. I'm sometimes more tired than before. Like, I like sleep. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just nap. Yeah. So that, that is often true for me, and I don't nap very often because of that. But it's because I oversleep. But I took a two-hour nap this evening from, like, 5.30 to 7.30, and I woke up, and I felt great. Maybe not great, but I felt I felt good. Um, I th- I think uh, I've been looking at something and talking to Dylan Donigan about it because he does it a lot. Where it's not necessarily a nap, but he I guess he does it in the middle of the day. Cause I think middle of the day would work for me. Is he's been looking into meditation a lot more lately? Transcendental like just, meditation. I'm guessing you know yeah. like just rid yourself of everything around yourself. Give yourself like ten minutes of yeah. I've like, I've heard peace. that has a lot of health benefits. Right. 
I know that uh, they do it in a lot of countries that are not America, where, like, for their workers, they give them time, like, in the afternoon or something to, like, recenter yourself, and they find that productivity actually goes up. Go figure. If you didn't draw to work eight hours straight or nine hours oh, yeah. straight, your productivity goes up. Anyway, um, so I'm going to try something like that out. Uh, I, I, I'm going to bring this up because I see it littering, littering on my desk right now. So uh, my wife went to Costco yesterday with the uh, the in-laws, right, her parents, because uh, they have a Costco card. And she texted me, and she's like, we're going to be hooked up for, like, the next month. And I'm like, why is that? And she's like, I bought – she's like, when I, I want you to understand, when I bought a lot of snacks, I bought all the snacks, right? <laughs> all the snacks that and they had. she was so generous to me because she bought pretty much everything themed the way I like it. So – and you've seen the bags of snacks at Costco. They're not the normal size, like, little bags. Uh, they're, they're very they're large. They're multi-pound right? bags. Yeah, yeah. Th- these things are huge, right? Yeah. Like I carried four of them in. That's They're like all I the size carry. of a of a of a small child. Yeah, exactly. And so, so um, there, we, it's three different. We got four bags of three different things. So one doubled up. And the one that doubled up was the one that she likes the most out of stuff I like. Where it's like, it's a thin, crispy cookie, but it's a cookie that's also made of coconut, and then just has dark chocolate on one side of it. So this is like a Milano kind of thing. No, it's more like a. a it's more like a, a crispy thin. Okay. If you get what I'm trying to say. So here, like a right? sweet wheat thin? Uh, it's hard to explain because I don't know how to bake, but like it, it's, it's sort I mean, of this, like that. Like, I, oh, I have the description you. sounds good. I love coconut. Yeah, it's very, very good. Like, I, I love, I've, I've just, I've sort of realized this recently. I really fucking love coconut. And there's a lot of people that don't. And they're stupid. Yeah, they're definitely dumb. All right. Um, they're, or wrong, however you want to yeah. put it. Um, and you're going to see a theme here and you're going to like the theme. Is it coconut? So, Yes. So the next bag was something we hadn't tried before. It's like this little thing. They're about this size. So they're about a uh, fun sized candy. You know what I'm talking about? Like the candy yeah. you get for when you get real candy for, for Halloween, not the, not the shit candy. When you get the real candy, it's like the size of that. You know, it's like the little fake Snicker bars. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's about usually what, like a third of the size of a full Snicker bars, maybe a maybe fourth. Even, yeah. Probably even a, qu- a quarter or less. So it's these little things. So what this is, it's just, it's a solid chunk of coconut encased in dark chocolate. So it's a mounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's a almond joy without the almond. And then the last bag is just a giant bag of almonds covered in coconuts and, and chocolate. Yeah, just so it's literally awesome. just every form of Almond Joy that's not Almond Joy this place has because she knows that I have an obsession. And it's so funny. She, like, walked in on me the other day. I was, like, in the – I have a walk-in pantry. And I'm, like, in the pantry. She walks in. And, like, I have my back to her and I turn. And I just have one of the cookies, like, in my mouth. And I'm, like, chewing. And I have more in my hand. And she just looks at me. And I was, like, these aren't going to last anywhere near as long as you think they are. <laughs> like I'm going to destroy these because like I'm one of those people like if you bring me a cake I'm not gonna have a slice and put it down I'm gonna eat the entire fucking cake yeah <laughs> like, yeah I remember um one time in college so uh our campus was close to a, a Marie Callender's restaurant I don't know if you know of Marie that Marie Callender's has restaurants but yeah, they do I'm, I'm aware of this I yeah. did not re- learn this until I saw one um but they have a a semi-annual pie sale where they sell you pies for five dollars so I just one weekend just bought a pie and ate it over the course of a weekend. Yeah, those are rookie numbers. You got to you got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> yeah, I should have done it more often. Pie is great, yeah. but my I, I had another point about this and some, I uh, my mother's favorite candy bar is Almond Joy, right? And she's just this very smart woman. Yeah, she's oh just yeah, the smartest. Yeah, my mom's great in every conceivable way. And so uh, last Christmas, I had. Um, I think I saw it on like a, of a Food Network show. I think it w- it was the I watch a surprising amount of Food Network shows. I just like seeing. Food. I do too. 
And yeah, it often too. tells me like different places to go if a, a place looks interesting. And I'll do some other research on it too. But um, it was uh, it was the best I ever ate. And they were doing it. Do you, are you familiar with this show? Yeah, I know of it. Yeah. yeah, they just have all the different Food Network personalities tell you about different things that they really like. Who knows if they actually like them? I don't give a shit. But if it looks interesting to me, I'll make a mental note of it. And they were doing a holiday-themed episode. And Bobby Flay gets on and starts talking about this uh, confectioner in Seattle that makes this chocolate bar that's like, you know, upscale Almond Joy. You know, just they make like a coconut ganache and like they use really nice roasted almonds and great chocolate and like it's all made incredibly well. If you hear typing during this segment that Ross is talking about, I'm actually Googling this place right now and buying a flight there. So sorry if that. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll ship them to you. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Look at it up. So I, I had some shipped and that was part of what I gave my mother for Christmas that year. And that so I, you know, it was described to me and I described it to her. I was like, it's going to be the best almond joy that you've ever eaten. And I remember, you know, she she didn't eat it right away. I think like the next day, I, I'm always home for Christmas, and I stay, you know, a lot a lot of that week into New Year's often. And I remember, you know, running into her, uh, and, you know, in one of the ensuing days, and she's like, "I had one of those." She just kind of looks at me and gives me this look like it was incredible. So then I had one myself, and it was awesome. So now I'm just gonna buy them all the time. Do me a favor when we're done with the show, let's actually look this up. I will buy yourself and myself one. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I was gonna say you you could have all these things on your diet, right? Mm. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's not... My diet is not healthy, Tannen. It just doesn't involve meat products. <laughs> yeah, well, just making sure there wasn't something prepared in there that's like against your code of ethics for your food. It or is. Whatever, so. uh, oh, these things were unbelievable. Um, I was gonna say, uh, speaking of that, uh, Natalie, she spent the weekend in Texas uh, doing some stuff, like she does a lot. And she got, uh, they opened up, I think it's like Le'Veon Bakery or whatever. They opened up some there that's a bakery that was in New York when she was there, when she was going to uh, <coughs> Ivy League schools up there. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, they just came out. But uh, it's like her favorite cookie in the world. And she brings some home and I had one and it was just utterly amazing. And she's like, yeah, sorry, it's not very good. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, this is like the crappy reproduction, nowhere near as good as like the normal one. And I was like, this is one of the better cookies I've ever had. Like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? So, yeah, I'm I'm all in for, like, you know, as you get older and your your taste gets more refined, I'm, like, all in for this kind of thing. Like, um, you know, Chef Petra that's in our that's in our uh, Discord and routinely puts up some of the, be- the best pictures and best foods. You know, he has a couple of things up in up in the Detroit area. By the way, shout out to the Detroit. Um, he has a couple of things up in the Detroit area that are, uh, you know, he's opening that are like his restaurants. I think he's opening a new one relatively soon. And I've been joking with him, and uh, I'm, I'm really not joking, but I've been telling him that as soon as the pandemic clears up and travel's okay, I'm 100% going there. And uh, <clears throat> Ross, I just assumed you were going to be coming with me. And we're going. I plan on gaining 10 pounds that weekend. You know, if I go out for just a few days or whatever. Are you looking up the cookie bar, the candy bar right now? Yep. God, Ross, we're, we're busy. We're doing a show. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you're going up to I, I I'm following along. You're going up to Chef Petro's restaurant. You're going to gain ten pounds. That makes sense. That just sounds smart. Also, I found them already, so we're good. All right, cool. Uh, how's your wrist feeling? Mm. It is feeling much much better today. Thank you for asking. Uh, if everybody doesn't know at home, Ross participates in basketball in Roanoke, uh, and uh, he injured yeah, himself this we week. Affectionately called the Roanoke Basketball League. Just just a very very apt name. Yeah yeah. 
Um, yeah, I really needed to know uh, the minute any one of these injuries happens and where the subsequent minutes are going to go to whoever takes your spot because I need to be able to change my roster in my Roanoke Basketball League Fantasy League. We, sh- we should start tweeting out when we play who, who is playing. So we've got a rotating cast of about eight-ish people now. You know, we try to keep it small because of COVID uh, and people that, you know, we're interacting with anyway. So it's mostly like, you know, SCG people and 202 people, which is where uh, Anderson LeClaire and... Uh, Corey's fiance Tori work. So, you know, places that we're going to sort of be cross exposed anyway. Um, and so, you know, when we play, it's just sort of who can make it. So there's never, there's not really a predictable who's taking up the minutes. They haven't played since I've gone down with the injury. You know, maybe they don't want to run the league without their best player. They think ratings are going to go down. <laughs> I, for, for anyone who understands the joke, uh, I am a, a connoisseur of fantasy sports. I like them quite a lot. And if anybody wants to know at home, Corey was my first pick. He was he's the uh, the first pick of the league. But my sleeper, my sleeper of the because that's what that's what people really want to know. Who who cares about the first pick? Who's who's your sleeper this year? My sleeper was Rob. Um, so I don't care if it, how he's doing, but he's my sleeper as like the the person you could get later in the rounds, but it could, could overperform. Yeah, those. yeah. Corey is the is the smart first pick. Anderson is probably your second pick. Corey's more well-rounded in terms of the stats he gets you. He's a he's a, he's a, a very good rebounder for his height. You know, I I'm basically dead money rebounding. Um, well, you can't jump either. So exactly, I'm sure that I can't jump, yeah. and Corey can, and Corey's also Corey is surprisingly tall. I don't know if it comes forward he's, on versus he's, live that he's like he's lanky. He's like four inches taller than I am. He's lanky. He's yeah. like lengthy. So, um, and he's also just the most skilled. I would say. I, I think my. I'm the I'm the outside shooter for the most part. Is it skill or is it the fact that he has coordination and you guys do not? We have some coordination and we're getting better. But he's some is not uh, full amount. It's not even coordination. I think he just has he has significantly better handles than I think anyone else uh, because he's played a lot more organized basketball. Um, we do have a guy who, who's come over from 202. who's far and away the best, Alex. So for next season, you make sure you first pick Alex. Oh, I've already got a trade in the works for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Rob, Rob is a nice dark horse candidate. Um, I think he, it's, because, it's hard to argue with the size, you know well, what I mean? Like, so he has the, he has the size, so he gets a good amount of rebounds and he gets those, those putbacks, he gets po- post touches, but Rob can also shoot. Anderson doesn't shoot as much. He's better in the post. He's far and away the best post player. So that's why he's a high pick because there are games where Anderson just looks dominant, but Rob can sometimes give you three point shots from your big man position, which is really valuable because you normally don't get that out of your big man. I love how serious you're taking this and having this conversation. Because <laughs> I'm over here, I'm having to mute myself. I'm laughing so much from this. And you're just like, seriously, like, yeah, we got Rob taking threes out of the center position, you know, really stretching the floor for the offense, you know, really yeah. creating space for, for Corey to slash in there and get those cheap interior points. We are, I am, I'm, this is serious. We are building towards making a rec league team. Oh, when God. we When it's safe to do so and we can do it, we're going to have a rec league team. This sounds fun. We're all in for it. And I've been thinking about the pieces that we have and how we're going to build this team because I'm the I'm the coach. That's the other thing. I'm sort of a player coach. What's the mercy rule in there? Like when do they, <laughs> when do they stop the games? Because I want to know how long you're going to get. The play. I'll tell you when it happens, Tannen. Okay, I'll tell you when it happens. One of the last times I played on like a what would you call this intramural sport type thing? You know, in like, college is intramural. Well, as I was saying, one of the last times I played in something like this was after college. I played on like a softball league where we had to hit, you know, for some of them you have to hit like your offhand and some of them you yeah. hit your... That's just rec league. Yeah, with rec league. And we were, we were having fun or whatever, but uh, we definitely like, 
I think our last two games we got uh, what's the what's the word here? Mercy rolled. Uh, mercy rolled. Yeah, we got mercy rolled in our last couple games. And like honestly, the second time it happened, we told the guys we were like, stop hitting homers, and they were like, why? We're like, we want to play the game. The umps just want to go home because they get paid no matter what, and they get to leave. I'm like, we actually want to play six innings or whatever, not three, you know, or whatever. Like, you know, we came out here, got all warmed up and got all ready. Who cares? You're beating us. Just like, let us play, you know. So that was actually quite annoying. But um, I was gonna say we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about on the uh, on the show this week. Um, Tannen, we've been talking about cool stuff already. Well, magic related stuff and. I don't know if we're going to make this a weekly thing, but we have some kind of like recurring elements to the show, like some segments that we've kind of <laughs> been working in. And we've got uh, a couple of them today, so I'm, I'm pretty excited because the first one is, are you excited? Well, you've Ross. already answered that question, so way to ruin the suspense. Wait, how? Wh- I didn't answer. You I literally said I'm question. pretty excited. Well, you- I'm, I'm excited about the topics for today because we have cool topics. Well, the question is, are you excited? And you are excited. Well, I'm, I'm, I haven't told you, I haven't asked you if you're excited about something yet. It's the thing. Okay. Said, I'm well, excited about this. I guess. Go on. But Ross, I was going to ask you and I'll answer it too. Uh, this weekend coming up, we got another MPL split. Are you excited? Not in the least. Wow. Because you were like optimi- optimistically excited. Yeah. Last and week. I enjoyed it. But it's just the same thing two or three weeks later. And uh, I'm more middle of the road than you. I'm not as like, no, as you are, but. I'm less excited. I, I, I feel like you're going to see a dip in their in their ratings, whatever you want to call it, in their viewership. We'll see. Um, the format is pretty good. Is it standard? Do we do we confirm that? Oh, that was supposed to be my job. I didn't do that. I'm pretty sure they're playing standard, though. See, I, instead I took a nap. Because Yeah, instead you took a nap. Because standard's in a pretty decent spot right now, a.k.a. it's not awful. And it, I got to say this, our bar is pretty low for what looks good. Because there is what seems to be a best deck in standard, and it's kind of hard to argue that there's not. And there's other decks, so I'm I'm interested to see if people come up with some cool ideas on how to beat Gruel and how to like keep that contained while still having a good deck, or if they just steer into the curve and play Gruel. Yeah, uh, I've actually you know just going based on what I've seen on the ladder, um, I see more Yorian decks than we did during that week where you know they kind of got hammered, and. Uh, you still do see some of the other top decks. I would expect not a dominant presence. You know, I wouldn't expect, you know, 50 plus percent playing Gruul, but I would expect um, sort of a, a more even representation among the top decks. I think there's, I think Seth, you know, is going to play Rogues again. He's been playing it a lot. I think he likes that deck. I think you're going to see some other people play it. I think you're going to see a good amount of Gruul. I think you're going to see some Yorian decks. Um, you know, you might see a Mono Red deck sneak in there. I'm on the page for the league weekend, and it literally doesn't tell me um, what format they are playing. So this is kind of embarrassing. A, we should have done our research. B, this should be easily available and findable. But for anyone who's ever used Watsi's websites before, they know that it's very difficult to find anything that you're trying to find that's specific. It's so. it's, it's a nice looking website. It has thing. Oh, overview. Is this no? This is what we were on. No, yeah. Race auto defenses early season lead against Hall of Famer Reed Duke, and then they're showing that they show the feature matches that they're playing, mm-hmm. and you know there's no. I I think it's all standard. I've, I told you this okay. earlier today. Okay. But um yeah okay standard supremacy yeah but if you read the entire blurb about the like you know below the the feature matches they mentioned standard so they're playing standard. Yeah, we were just gonna confirm trying to confirm to make sure it was standard. We were pretty sure it was. Yeah. 
so they're playing standard. It's kind of nice to see that they all have rankings now. The it's only one weekend, so a lot of them are tied at seventh. Yeah. Uh, I see here, and then there's twelve. So yeah, there's there's first and is Resato, uh, then a couple P, uh, then PV in second, and then th- sort of three groups tied for third, seventh, and and twelfth. And you'll see people will distinguish themselves a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that, the, you'll you'll, you'll the see pack that. Will separate. Yeah, yeah, you'll see that those packs separate. So, eh, actually, now that I see that, like that they have the rankings and there's some there is some narrative there, I'm actually a little bit more excited than I was before. I, I like this kind of stuff. I like watching the you know the the rankings evolve and change week to week. Uh, like I think it'll be nice to see like does does Ray bring Gruel again? Does he just run it back? Or does he try to level the field and bring something else? So there, there are some cool narratives here. I, so when I said I wasn't excited at all, I actually hadn't really even thought about it at all because it's kind of weird that it's happening so, so quickly after each other. But now that, now that I'm looking at it and thinking about it, I'm actually more excited. Okay. Good. Uh, th- this stuff is just cool to me. And this is what I like about the idea of an MPL is seeing this happen and, and evolve week to week. Um, and I don't know, is this exactly how they did it last year when nobody really cared, including me? I don't think so, but I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. But it seems to me like they're they're doing a better job of this. And I know that there's been a lot of criticism of the MPL um, from a different angle. A lot of the criticism has been that it sort of ruined the rest of competitive magic and, and shut a lot of people out. And I understand that. Um, but my, pri- my primary criticism of it has actually been that they haven't done enough to really make the MPL a spectacle and make it good viewership. Because if you're going to do that, if you're going to take a bunch of resources and put them into a small group of people, into the MPL and into the Rivals League, then you've got to come out with something great because you're sacrificing a lot. You're sacrificing a lot of those intermediary levels of competitive play. And a lot of uh, players, good players, are getting left in the lurch as a result. And at least let them get some benefit out of it as fans, as viewers. So it seems to me like they're doing better at that. And I thought that they would would improve over time. You know, you always hope they do. Um, and, I, you know, if there's one thing that Watsi has been good at, it's taking criticism and making some necessary changes. They never get 100% of the way there, but they always get like 70% of the way there. <laughs> they never completely fall flat, but they never blow you away. Yeah. And I think it's the big thing I'm looking forward to is, you know, what changes happen this week? Are there going to be, you know, is there a new deck going to come out? Is a cool metagame deck going to come out? Because, like, tournaments of this size where you can, like, readily kind of guess what people are going to do very well have cool decks come out of them, right? Like, you have cool, like, like I think back to, like, V. Malkowitz with The Solution, you know, and, like, decks like that. Like, I remember I played a deck at an event. Hold on. For, for people that don't know that reference, that was an Invasion Block Constructed deck. Yeah, what, 2000? Invasion Block Constructed Deck. Yeah, I'm old. I get it. I get it. One last time. Invasion Block Constructed Deck. For, for the people at the back. But uh, it's more just, you know, me talking about how, like, decks come out of these, like, small tournaments because, you know, it, it, we, we talk about it, you know, uh, I think someone, I think Jim Davis wrote an article about this once about, like, how you can't trust all the results that come out of team tournaments. And he took a shot at our teammate, Brendan DeCandio, because he got second at an event with a literally unplayable deck. Yes. But it's just like, you know, you have decks and formats like standard that, oh, look, this deck won the tournament or did really well, but like, was it actually good? And that happens in these where like, you know, a deck is really good for this week, right? It's really good because, you know, last time like people were still playing Yorian and my deck beats up on Yorian and I got to like, you know, 5-0 those matches. So my record kind of like got propelled up by that. Well, what if no one plays Yorian this week or no one has a bad Yorian list that gets beat up so easily? 
your deck's gonna perform worse now, right? And so your deck's not as good. But does that mean your deck's bad for the ladder arena? No, it was just not as good of a choice for this. What you play against fourteen people, I think, is what it is. Yeah, and the and the flip side of that is if everyone is playing rogues and gruel, and you find a deck that can beat both of those, yeah, uh, then you know you're going to crush that field. But maybe your deck loses to a ton of other things you see on the ladder. It loses to team of ramp. It loses to yorian decks. It loses to mono red. You know, I, I don't think such a deck exists. But theoretically, you know, those kinds of decks can do well in these small closed meta games and not be as appropriate for a wider metagame. You know, when you're playing a wider metagame, you just want to play a powerful proactive strategy that can impose its will on a wide range of other decks. Perfect example. Um, I remember going to an open once with an extremely metagamed deck. I mean, like, this deck did very, very well against, like, the three most popular decks. No, it was standard. (laughs) And it did really well against, like, the big three, right, that were good at the time. And I remember testing a ton, and I loved my matchups. And I go to this open, and I just played against, like, random decks, right? And just got crushed. But then, like, if you look at my success in the open series, like, the decks that I chose, like, I always chose really powerful, linear, like, straightforward, yeah. I'm going to kill you decks. I'm not trying to be smart. Like, um, Emma Handy wrote an entire article once about, like, you know, what would you rather be? Would you rather be smart or would you rather win? You know, because <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't necessarily have to sacrifice them, but, like, you can outsmart yourself. Yeah, yeah. And Sometimes you can gonna, be smart and not yeah. win. And she okayed it with me because there was an entire paragraph or two in there devoted to me and how I was winning in Modern that year by just by playing Tron. And she was like, do you think Tatum enjoys playing Tron? He's known as like, you know, a blue player before this and drawing extra cards. And like, he's playing the exact opposite deck where I just want to mulligan into an exact hand and kill you with it, right? Like, and she's like, I think she put the exact quote in there. You know, people used to ask him all the time, you know, why are you playing this deck? And my quote was, I like to win. <laughs> you know, because like, I got, you know, like, I can't, I can't forget the first time I top baited with it. Like, I remember a lot of the Lotus Box guys, a lot of them came up and they're dude, dude, why Tron? You know, because it got like really, it has like a really bad rap. And I was like, dude, I just, like, I'm just beating everyone. What do you mean? <laughs> like, this deck's amazing. Like, have you tried it? And I remember at the next open, like, they got my list and like half the, half the team played it. Like, yeah, <laughs> deck's busted. Yeah, shit, like, like, casting Carter turn three and then my opponent is dead because they're playing like a, a trained Arbiton. <laughs> yeah, and that was a big thing too, is like, you know, you're in, a, you're in an open field, like literally at opens, we joke about that. It's an open field, right? And like, you're going to see a wider range of decks and people like have their, and, like, not to mention Jund is severely overrepresented on the open mark on the open field series than oh, yeah. anywhere else. Tron in is the kind of deck that beats up people who are trying to be smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it makes you feel smart, right? Yeah. So like I'm just I'm just the idiot over here pushing buttons that, you know, whatever. I'm the button masher on the arcade game when you're like you've been practicing Street Fighter 2 for like months yeah, or characters I'm execute great. My super fucking combo. And then you get beat by the dude who's just literally mashing buttons yeah. on, on, on the thing or whatever. In reality, right? so not- I am also the button masher. I'm horrible at fighting games. I was pretty good at him in my day. But anyway, um, we have another question for the Are You Excited section. And uh, this one I think we could talk about a little bit longer. And I have a little higher hopes for your responses. And Kaladesh Remastered, Are You Excited? Okay. So initially I would have said more excited than I was for the MPL. Now I actually think kind of less. Because now I'm kind of... Ah, I've built it, I've built up the MPL in my head now. Yeah. Um, so Kaladesh Remastered, win with you. just by itself, does not excite me at all. Because... Okay. You're a hard sell. I, I'll tell you this ahead of time. You're going to be a little more frugal in these than I am. You're a hard sell. Yeah, it's just like, it's cards I've seen before. Like, sure, I, do, I don't play basically any historic. So it's not really affecting any format that I play. And there's nothing new and fun about it. And I actually, that said, I think adding things like Frexing Tower and Thoughtseize to historic is as bad for the format. Um, 
It has not proven to be good. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just creates this class of cards that are so far above everything else that the entire format revolves around them, and the playable cards from the rest of the format are just the cards that supplement the, that top tier the best. Yeah, that strategy. Yes, and that's a problem, and it really makes for uninteresting deck building and uninteresting, you know, an uninteresting metagame. So, but that said, when it, when it's you know preview season for a set, and we want some new cards like. I think there could be an influx of new cards and these remastered sets being the vehicle to get them into the format is fine. There's a little bit of a downside in it being difficult to track what exactly is legal and what's not legal. But, you know, when you're an invested, entrenched player, that's not a big deal. Ross, how is it hard to find out what's legal in the format? You could just go to the gatherer and look up <laughs> yeah. look up historic. We literally have a game we play on versus live sometimes where a viewer will just write two card names and we have to guess which one is legal and historic and which one isn't. <laughs> it's just like the, the, the joke being, you know, it's not on the gatherer on their website, right? Like they oh, don't not. have historic as they don't have historic as a format. <laughs> they still have it. <laughs> this is the best response I could have hoped for that. You didn't actually get the joke. And yeah. I yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that is rich. It might've changed, but the last time I checked, this was very recently. It was not, sure. it was not on the, on the website, which is just hilarious. So, so the only new card that are only like non-Kalish card that they've added to the set is Sculpting Steel, which is weird that you would only add one. And like, I guess Sculpting Steel makes some sense. It's an artifact set. That's actually like a somewhat interesting card. It could be good. Ornithopter's in it too. So it looks like they've had some of the inventions kind of. Okay, some of the inventions snuck in. Sure. Uh, but and that's that's all we know for now. Like there could be. Like, I, I've heard that we have the entire set. That's what I've. Uh, well, they said that, and then they were wrong. And about that, were, that spoiler okay. was not that spoiler was not who the, who the hell knows and it's been yeah. so confusing we were we're we're playing it tomorrow on versus and it's just uh, it's a complete nonsense well, but i'm looking forward to it personally and for for multiple reasons a i like the set a lot it's got one of my favorite cards of all time in it with uh the, the blue gear hulk but the card is uncastable because they're still just uh fucking mystical dispute yeah mystical honestly dispute is a magic card. with all the cards people complain about in the last year of magic a year and a half maybe Mystical Dispute is very close to the top of my list. Oh, yeah. Very close. It's so asinine. I hate it so much. Because it's... I just... All I want to do is play blue creatures. Mystical Dispute is so good against them. It's just so good against, like, everything that I want to do in the game. I want to just, like, you know, grind my gears, do nothing, and then, like... Incremental value, incremental value, cast a gear hulk. Like, I loved doing that in standard. That's like my favorite. I, do you know how many invention gear hulks I own? I own a lot. You know, like, I have a collection of them. I love the card. It, it's the best, like, efficient, cheap blue counter spell. And it's so much better against blue creature decks than in them. You would think, like, oh, you just get to play disputes yourself. But my disputes are never as good if I'm playing, like, mono blue aggro as my opponents in disputes because theirs counter my creatures and mine rarely do against you know whatever control deck and so it, it actually you know tips the the balance of power against those decks and i i love those decks i think they're and so do you some people maybe not you know the the gameplay can be a little you know annoying from the other side when they have a good draw yeah. they just go like oh play a creature turn one counter every relevant spell you play for the entire game while slipping in an extra creature or two somewhere you know when i have the extra mana and kill you on turn seven but there are so many really close interesting games with those decks 
And honestly, like, if you're complaining solely based on the runaway games that a deck happens to play, like, every deck has runaway games. Like, even in standard, when your Gruul Adventure opponent goes, like, turn one, Heart's Desire, turn two, Double Edge Wallen Keeper, turn three, Love Struck Beast, you, you know, turn four, Embercleave, let's go. When your, you know, uh, Rogue's opponent has turn one, Thieves' Gold Enforcer, turn two, Thought, whatever, turn three, like, one mana removal spell if you're a two-drop, counterspell your next play, untap, like, you know, have everything. It, or into the story or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Like, every, every deck has really awesome draws. You know, the mono blue deck, you know, that we're referencing, sort of the Curious Obsession deck, that model had draws that really just didn't let your opponent into the game at all, but it played a ton of super interesting close games, too. And that should be valued. Mystical Dispute just really punishes those kinds of strategies so hard. Just punishes blue creatures. I'm, I'm not a fan of the card either. What was wrong with just leaving us with Dispel? I love, no, I love me a nice Dispel. 100% agree with you. I think I think it's, I think the card is a okay. heinous design. Go, go back to you hyping Kaladesh because now I'm just mad. I am excited to draft a new set on Arena. This is one thing that's like positive for me for it, how many new sets Is this like come one out? big set where you're, you're sort of drafting three packs of the same thing? Yeah. Okay. But it's like, like the same. it's a mix of all the the cards from the, those two sets, right? Kaladesh. And yeah, Aether I don't Revolt. think it'll be. Yeah, I don't think it'll be like Kaladesh Aether Revolt. I think it'll just be three packs of like a yeah. mixture of all the cards. Yeah, right but the, the cards in the set are a mixture of the cards from those two sets. Correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the uh, that cycle of commons that was good in, in Aether Revolt that make the two energy and then make a one one, like Aether Chaser? And I mean, I, I remember Aether all Poisoner, of them, yeah. and I guess they they don't all cost two mana, but the good ones did. The black one and the red one cost two mana. They yeah, were the best yeah, ones. Yeah. The green one was still fine. Ether Chaser, the white. Yeah, one was, they were all good. Yeah, yeah. The blue one also cost two, and it was the, the one who flyer Ether Glider. I think is that cycle in there. I don't remember. 100%. I looked at the spoiler, but I didn't really pay attention to too many of the commons. I looked for you know what rares are in there, what different cards are in there, and then what of the banned cards made it in. So it looked like Smuggler's Copter didn't make it. No. Um, you know, uh, it looked like Walking Ballista also didn't make it. But one of the cards that I did want to talk about that did make it is Aetherworks Marvel. And I know you don't play a lot of Historic, but I'll tell you this now. This card will probably have some impact on Historic. We, You know, I can already envision a deck right now that has a lot of ways to gain energy early, right? Um, maybe some card draw, like whatever. You have Aetherworks Marvel. You already have some really big payoffs. You have Ugin. You have Ulamog. You know, cards along, along that line. Those are the two big ones. You know, like, you can even put some gigantic planeswalkers in there, too, like, uh, like, uh... Like Ugin? Nicol Bolas. <laughs> yeah, like Ugin. Yeah, whatever. Some cool stuff. But also, like, you can just play Nyssa in this deck. The five-mana Nyssa that doubles your mana Nissa for Nyssa shakes the world. Yeah, because, like, you can still just Nyssa on, like, turn three or four, like, however you want to do it, and then, like, untap and cast Ulamog, or untap and cast Ugin. Like, you can still just do these things, right? So you're not relying on just having Aetherworks Marvel, because, like... I remember that deck back in the day, and you could beat it when it didn't draw Aetherworks Marvel, but when it had the good draws with Aetherworks Marvel, it was very difficult to beat. Yeah, if, it, if people who weren't around there then um, aren't aware, when Marvel was first printed, people tried, you know, sort of all-in combo decks. They were playing not only Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, but Glassblower's Puzzle Knot, a ton of, of energy sources, and they were they had Emrakul and Ulamog, and that's what they were casting off of Marvel. I remember it was Matt Nass who top aided Pro Tour Kaladesh with that deck in Hawaii. And it ended up not being very good. And the metagame sort of devolved into this fight between Azorius, uh, like Flash, I guess they called it, but it was like this Azorius mid-range deck with Copter and all the way up to Archangel Avacyn with Spellqueller, not Spellqueller because that was the next 
year. No, it had like it had Spellcrawler and like ways to because Spellcrawler worked. Really oh yeah, well yeah, Spellcrawler was a previous summer. Yeah, so that's Spellcrawler and Reflector and eventually Reflector Mage. That was that was in the winter. Um, and Thraven Inspector. So it was like you know I had some creatures, had some counter spells, played the Soda Tempo game, and then the the Golgari Delirium deck that was you know Traverse One Emrakul Ishkana, uh, you know removal spell, sort of a rock. The Brennan Decandia special. Yes, and uh, you know those were the two decks, and then it, it people finally found the right way to build Marvel, and it ended up not even having blue. It was just a an end up being it was a Gruul mid range deck, but then they, and splashed, then they white splashed white, white to, yeah. for the mirror. So that you couldn't target them with Emrakul. They had the the um, um, the angel. It's a newer version of an older angel that uh, gave you hexproof for three green and a white. It was four four or four five, and it made humans. Avison. I don't think it was an Avison. I think it Which was, was it? Um, a Sigarda. Yes, that's it. It was a Sigarda. There we go. I can't remember the names of the angels. Sorry, commander players at home. They're probably just yelling. Yeah, yeah. Right I'm now. sure they're. But we got it. No, no we got it. That's good. I think I own the card still yeah. somewhere. So like... they, the, it was this mid-range deck that, like, you know, played an interactive game, had, a, like, a traverse package. It played Ishkana it, because the various artifacts that gave you energy also helped you Delirium. So it kind of, you know, overlapped all these different themes, and it was just really powerful. And that's when Emrakul got banned. And then Marvel came back, you know, six months later after the whole cat combo fiasco um, and became the dominant deck. But it was, it was Teamer at that point again. But it was a different style. Instead of being all in on Marvel, it was again like a, a ramp deck that also had Marvel and could also play a mid-range game with energy. Again, very versatile. And so that's what Tannen is trying to point out there with Nissa is that they have some really powerful new elements to play into that secondary ramp game plan. And the question is just how do we fit all the pieces together? So, you know, I want to play Growth Spiral, Marvel, Nissa, and, you know play more into that ramp style if I'm playing Marvel, but you do have to fit in a ton of energy to make Marvel work. You need Woodweaver's Pulse or not. You need Rogue Refiner. You need a Tomb of the Ether. You need Ether Hub. The question is, how many Whirl of Virtuosos do, me, do you want? Because you, you also want Harness Lightning. I think all of those are slam back four ofs. Whirl of Virtuoso is kind of a wild card. It's a bit of an underpowered card for Historic. It was somewhat underpowered for even for Standard. Though there were those games where like you made 20 energy and then ripped over Virtuoso and it was insane. You know, that... And that's the card to me is like, what is the exact number on that card? It ended up being really important later too when like the red black deck got very good because you just needed to block, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what was the Hazard? two mana? Oh, huh? block two mana scrappage counter? No, no, no. You needed to block the two mana. Uh, when they banned some Arbor's Copter, they started playing. Um, Heart of Cure? Heart of Cure, yeah. You need to be able to like block Heart of Cure and you need to be able to block, um, yeah. I think Hazard eventually, you know, like when it got printed, it came in there. And, and you Heart of like Cure is in the set works. too, so maybe that, that happens as well. We got Toolcraft Exemplar into Heart of Cure and as a, as a curve now for Historic. Didn't work out in Pioneer. Maybe it works in this format, but you don't you, you don't have Thraben Inspector. That's a, that's a key thing. But that, there's a lot of powerful cards in Kaladesh. I imagine we'll see some impact in Historic. Um, and, and I I agree, Etherworks Marvel is at the top of the list of things to try. You know, that, that received some hype when Pioneer was first made into a format. I know uh, Jerry wrote an article calling it the best deck in Pioneer. He ended up being wrong, but... Uh, that was one of the ones we got right. Yes. We we, we were both uh, uh, against that card. It's, um, you know... And maybe Historic, because of all this influx of powerful cards in the last six months, kind of leaves it behind, too. You know, what does the Marvel deck do against turn three Muxus? Really nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some card it'll get around to playing i actually just found the spoiler yeah i'm looking through it they have access to anger of the gods so like they can they can figure something out again so i do think 
that that just points to me that this deck has to be somewhat interactive. It can't just be all in, I'm going to turn four Marvel you as often as possible. But Marvel has the ability to play that game plan because the energy cards that support Marvel are individually reasonable cards. The Rogue Refiners, Harness Lightnings yeah. of the world. Another, there, There's a couple other big cards in the set, too, that aren't just that, right? Like, Fatal Push is now... Yeah, so we're playing um, Versus Tomorrow with Historic, and Corey and I had a you know brief discussion, like, is Fatal Push better than Bloodteeth's Thirst? We don't have fetches, but it's an instant. You know, what about dealing with Planeswalkers? It's not that big in the format right now. But, you know, that's a nice option. Winding Constrictor, another big one. Yeah, which originally wasn't won the spoiler. Yeah, people thought and it, it like, wasn't going to be They're there. like, hold on, the card The card is getting printed. That's another cool one. Um, really, a lot of decks, you know, were like, that was a card that got decks got built around, but with no walking ballista. We're talking about something that... Yeah, there is a Grackmaw from the from Zendikar Rising that works really well in a, in a ballista deck. And I think that's just a powerful, pretty powerful card. You know, th- if it's a three-mana 4-4 four, four that makes a 4-4 four, four when it dies, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And so, like... Th- and it fits really well into, like, Golgari, right? Like, you're just trying to trade resources and have resilient threats. And you have Thoughtseize, you have good removal. I think there could be something there. That's a deck that I have built for tomorrow. <laughs> the Rock. Um, Chandra Torch of Defiance is a card that is yep. now getting That's you know, a, just, a, just a powerful magic card. Do you, remember, do you remember Twitter and, like, everyone's response when this card got previewed? Yeah. It, we, everybody went overboard. They're like, oh, my God, it's so busted. It's going to be the next Jace. And then it sort of fell flat the first couple weeks. And then we found some shells for it, and it became really, really good. It was actually a key part of that that Gruul slash Naya midrange deck. Like they were using Chandra, and then the, obviously the red decks that came over the next year or two. It was yeah, it was. Um, I remember when they first came out, they were about eighty dollars a pop, and then I remember them getting down to like ten. Yeah, and then I think like they 10. went back up to like thirty, maybe yeah, thirty or forty. I still yeah. have my set, you know, whatever that I got. Yeah, when, um, when they find when we're like the card was really good, but it, it to me that's the card that is like right on the borderline of too good, but didn't cross it. I, I don't know if this one's going to have, like, a huge impact, but cards that, you know, you see them and you're, like, they make you think. Uh, Blossoming Defense is a card that is that is now historic legal. Yeah, that yeah. That's definitely, a, you know, those kinds of... The kind of decks that want to play Blossoming Defense, you know, uh, either, you know, creature combo decks like Infect uh, we've seen in Modern, or even different, like, Auras decks might want to use something like that yeah. just to protect their creatures. Mm-hmm. Those decks always benefit from just a bigger and bigger card pool, give me a deeper... You know, because they're they're choosing from a very narrow range of any card pool of whatever format they're in, because they're interested in only one and two mana spells for the most part. Occasionally, some three mana spells, but really focus on one and two mana spells. Super low curve. You know, they're one or two colors, not more than that, because the mana base is going to be low land count. They can't handle it, and they need a ton of auras, a ton of good creatures to strap auras onto, ways to protect those creatures. So, efficient ways of doing any of those three things is all that they're looking for, and this is one of the best. You know, of that last category that we've ever seen, probably second to Vines of Astrid in Magic's history. So, yeah, definitely something to look out for in a format like Historic that has a lot of weird cards in it. It has uh, Core Spirit Dancer. So, there are yep. Auras decks. I think they're mostly mono white, but, you know. Cards randomly in there. Yeah. yeah Blossoming um, Defense protecting your Core Spirit Dancer sounds kind of nice to me. Um, if you're if you're like a brawl historic historic brawl person, um, heroic intervention is now on there as well. You know, a card that's pretty big in formats like that. Um, the cards that can like start to show up. You know, things that I'm I'm just literally looking through the thing. Nissa Vital Force is a card. Uh, Rishkar Pima Renegade. You know, along with the green black cards that you were talking about earlier. If you want to move into R- Rishkar, I think it's overshadowed by uh, Orin Reef Ooze. Oh, true. From the, true. From There's from that. The set, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, Verter's Gear Hulk is another one that's in my deck. Uh, yeah, I think it might be a little slow. There's only two copies in it, but and it, you know, we've seen some really cool sacrifice decks over the last few years, and like how good they are. And you might be able to even add a third color here because of the card hidden stockpile that I always thought was going to be good and never really had its day. It had it had its day in standard. There was really? there was a time when stockpile decks were good and they were well okay. played. Sure, but the stockpile decks are really grindy. That's exactly. I don't think that's going to play that well in most historic meta games. Yeah. You know, the sacrifice decks that we see in Historic are Bolus's Citadel, Collected Company, right. they just Get You Dead. You. Yeah, Hidden Stockpile is like, you cannot interact with me very well. I am going to just make a token every turn for 20 straight turns and eventually overwhelm you. It's a, it's a cool deck to play if you uh, can click fast on Moto, but I, I'm not uh, confident on that one. Another cool one for sideboards, really sideboard also here, Cumball, Council of Allocation, is a, is a really good sideboard card in certain matchups if you can cast it. Um, not to worry anyone, but Sahili Rai is in, is in yeah, the set, the Felder but Guardian. Felder Guardian is not. So uh, mm -hmm. no infinite combo Kalash in here. Was um, a, probably the outside of the like War of the Spark and, and, Throne. Uh, and Throne, it's probably the most powerful set printed in the last five years. Yeah, this is probably a top 10 set all the time. Like, in terms of power level? Yeah, I think it's, it might I think be the it's back pretty obvious. The top 10, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, you're, you're seeing other cards in here that sell a lot of play, you know, unlicensed integration. Um, the, the Winding Cashier is, is on, the, on the list now. For more of you Commander players, Aetherflux Reservoir is now uh, is now on this. Uh, lots of cool things. Beaumont Courier, like a, a personal favorite of mine, just the little the, the little construct that could. I mean, that's a card that's currently seeing play in Modern, so I would expect it to see some play in Historic. That's just a, that's yeah, a good it, one drop. And so, like, I, I can see, you know, historic, like, aggro burn decks, like, they have another one-drop now that's good for their deck, right? Yeah. You know, they already have some really good one-drops, and this is just another one. Um, so people are joking about Electrostatic Pummeler. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. Heart of Kieran, we talked about Hope of Gearpore, another card that come out of sideboard. Or decks. Mm -hmm. uh, Metallic Mimic is a really cool one that could show up some places. Uh, we do, you do have access. Uh, I guess... We don't have access to Hangerback Walker or Walking Ballista, so you can't do the cool thing with like the scale effect and mimic. On There's some replacements that you can do, but yeah, you, do have, cha um, you have Chamber Sentry and Stone Coil Serpent, but they're they don't share a creature type, right? So you don't um, get to nail them both. Mm -hmm. uh, Metalwork Colossus always there is like a cool. You combo do have access to Steel Overseer though, so you could build a scales deck either green white, green black, or Abzan because you have Conclave Mentor and Winding Constrictor that is more artifact centric and plays all these artifact creatures. That's definitely an option. Yeah, and just like for, for more of the commander players that really like this kind of stuff, uh, Panharmonicon, Paradox Engine, Planar Bridge, all these cards are cards that are, um, I've seen some of these get like soft banned in some commander areas. They're like, hey, like don't don't play these cards or everything. Um, Prophetic Prism is in this set. Uh, don't forget, it's another one that kind of enables some stuff. You're seeing Scrap Heap Trawler, a card that was very instrumental in getting a, a card banned, a deck banned. Scrap Trawler? I'm sorry, Scrap Trawler. Sorry, yeah, I, I, it's Scrap, scrap Trawler, Trawler Scrap right Trawler, yeah. Yeah, they're right next to each other on the list. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, lots, of, lots of cool things going on here, like you said. Um, also, don't forget the Fastlands. This is another yeah. big thing. Fastlands and Inventor's Fair and Spire of Industry and Etherhub. All very good lands. I would expect them all to see play in Historic. You know, maybe not all immediately, but definitely well above the bar to see play in the format in the right shell. So yeah, some some of the best dual lands ever printed. Yeah, right? oh, fastlands are great. Um, so specifically helping aggro decks, which I like. I think they've I think they've leaned too heavily in recent years towards lands that enter tapped, and that has created metagames, especially in standard, that are too mid range dominant. 
and leave you very few options to be aggressive, where you literally ha you have to be monocolored to be aggressive because otherwise you lose too much consistency, adding E to B tap lands to your mana base or having a mana base that doesn't hit its colors consistently because you, there's just no right way to strike the balance given the tools available. So, All right, so I love Fastlands. Got to ask you another question. Are you more excited for Kaladesh now? Honestly, now talked not it out. really. I just don't, I don't play Historic right now. So, and I don't want to play Historic. I like playing Pioneer and Modern. I'm playing a good amount of Standard. And I'm going to play more because of the recent announcement of the the SCG Tour Online return. Yeah. So To kind of piggyback what you said a little bit, this is a step in putting Pioneer onto that, MTG Arena. Yes. That's actually the, I, I was, I had forgotten that that was the point I wanted to make during the segment. And that's the thing that actually is most exciting to me about it. And the fact that they left off both Copter and Ballista, which are banded Pioneer, yeah, it makes is, all sense, is a right? sign to me that it's like, okay, they're building this for Pioneer to be on uh, on Arena. So I'm, I'm very happy to see that. That's actually the thing that most excites me, and it's a long-term thing. So I, I get the idea, the notion that they're still planning to eventually bring Pioneer to Arena and to bring Pioneer into the fold of these online events and competitive high-level competitive events. And that's great because right now the Pioneer metagame is awesome. And I'm not sure how much of it is just the metagame being well-balanced and how much of it is there not being a lot of eyes on it. Because anytime you don't have a lot of eyes on a format, it's a lot easier to succeed even with a suboptimal deck. And uh, th so there's some concern there because it, you're just not getting the same level of repetitions and the same level of refinement into the metagame. You know what? I kind of want to transition into our next subject because of what you just said. Yeah. About having like an, a, a refined deck versus an unrefined deck and how like you don't see the results because eyes aren't very much. And we saw somebody who's near and dear to your heart and do very well in a Pioneer PTQ this weekend using a deck that kind of takes advantage of the fact that a lot of decks are playing some kind of wonky cards or a little bit slower than they should be. And I'm talking about Cedric Phillips coming in second place to the PT this weekend, which does qualify him for the next PT. Yeah. And, and um, to be fair, he conceded the finals to Spike. So they're they're not first and second. They're, you know, yeah, first tied, first, tied yeah. for first. So yeah. this is just a win for both of them. And uh, Cedric got in second. Um, he actually streamed a lot of this with just burn. Like just good old burn. No Luris, right? Was there Luris in this? There is Luris. There is Luris, okay. Yeah. So there was Luris in this. I, mean, I remember his list being very tight. I liked it a lot. Oh, it's it's in a, it's in a different spot than normal. They don't have it in the sideboard, so I was like looking for it. I apologize. Go oh yeah, it's the way goldfish. Uh, yeah, Th this is how the burn deck has looked for months. Except the, there's a couple updates from Zendikar Rising. He's playing one Needle Verge pathway over a mountain, and there's a there. Normally, you would think like, oh, if I'm splashing white, why don't I just play four Needle Verge pathway? But there are four copies of Chain of the Rocks in the sideboard, and that needs a mount a specific mountain land to be able to enchant. So that I guess that you know this list apparently came from Patrick Sullivan unsurprising uh so i guess patrick has determined that 10 mountains is the number he needs for chain and he would rather have the extra white source from needle verge pathway so a slight difference there but not a huge deal in terms of the deck and then the one the slot that used to be a zergo is the 13th one drop is now a wayward guide beast which i think is great um you know so the games where guide beast actually lets you make your third land drop and double spell you know, you, you can never float a mana and then bounce the land, play it, and play a three drop. But that's not that important in this deck. Your only three drop is Luris, unless you're hard casting light of the stage or Wizard's Lightning, which you hopefully never have to do. Um, but the games where, like, you play a one drop, you play Wayward Guide Beast right, right on turn three and attack and then bounce the land that you tapped to cast the Guide Beast, play it as your land for turn when you didn't have another one and play a two drop. Like, 
you know, you, uh, how often is this one way where guide beast going to be the only one drop in your hand, and now you, you effectively don't have a one drop? Like, the, yeah, I think that not very. Often. I think the former variable outweighs the latter. So love that change. Um, but they this, said trample was relevant as well. Just so you know, yeah, I, times. he got an, a, a point, I guess. But you know, th- th- this list is really tight. Roiling vortex, another addition to the sideboard, looks great. But searing blood, chain to the rocks have been staples here. So n- not much has changed. But the thing that surprises me is not Cedric you know, wins the PTQ with it, but you also see it in sixth place. You see it in eighth place. You see it in 10th place. You see it in 19th place. It also won a challenge this weekend. Burn has been way down in the Pioneer metagame right. after being, you know, a great deck in the spring, especially during the original companion rule. But even after that, it was still around and still good. And then it kind of fell off the map late summer. And this weekend, it just came out gangbusters and dominated. Yeah, it was, uh, t- it was 21.8%. Yeah, of the field, seven yeah, there were seven in the top 32 of the, of this PTQ. And, you know, these PTQs have a lot of great players in them, and they're big events. So this is, you know, in terms of results, this is the best you're going to get. And I want to I make this point, too, to kind of, like, hammer home at how well this deck did just from that. Do you know what the most played card was as well? It has it on the list next to it. Oh, man, Uro. Uro was the most played card at 43 copies, and a burn deck made its way through here. So Uro... I remember a lot of people talking about like burn wouldn't be as good because of cards like Euro. They have found ways, right? Yeah. To kind of get through here. And it's really kind of taking advantage of these decks, right? That are kind of moping around, doing a bunch of stuff. And like, if you're not doing anything except for Euro on turn three against the burn deck, that's not good enough. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I was actually, you know, in the, uh, the audience for Cedric stream the night before this PTQ. And he was talking about playing it, didn't know what to play was asking me questions, and he's like, is Burn still good? And I was like, no, it's not good. And that was just my, you know, canned response because I just hadn't seen it in months. And I assumed, like, yeah, it can't be good. I'm not exactly sure why, but, like, nobody plays it. doesn't ever do well. And the next day I see him doing really well, and he's just playing Burn. And when that happened, it sort of triggered, like, okay, I should think about this. Like, why? Is there a reason that Burn should be doing well? And it dawned on me, all the mid-range decks that people are playing, and there's a lot of them in Pioneer right now, the Esper, I guess Esper Urban's a bit of an exception, uh, but like the Reclamation decks, the Niv Delight decks, the um, the Omnath deck, the, you know, the Jeskai Fires deck, all of these decks, they're using sweepers as their anti-aggro cards. They're playing Deafening Clarions, Anger the Gods, and Supreme Verdicts in various numbers. And when you're a burn deck, that's great for you. Because any damage that you can get out of your creatures is welcome. And especially your one and two mana creatures, if they're attacking two times, you're winning the game. Because you, you know, your opponent taps out for sweepers, they may like play one spell to start pulling ahead, and then you have the burn to finish them off. They, you, when you're playing against burn, you need the one mana disruption. You need the fatal push or the lightning bolt on their goblin guide, you know, wild slash for to use a pioneer example. So the, and there's been less spot removal recently, especially in main decks, and more sweepers, because these mid-range decks are gearing to beat each other, and so they have less overall space to devote to anti-aggro cards, and so they're devoting more powerful cards. You know, Anger of the Gods, great against mono-black aggro, which had been the most popular aggro deck. You know, Supreme Verdict, really good against spirits, except for Spellcaller, and like, you know, good against decks that are trying to create a big battlefields, which is a lot of what the aggro decks that existed Verdict also really good against Aura's decks that had been popular recently. They've dropped off. That helps Burn a lot. You know, Burn doesn't want to play against Aura's of Auras, uh, though Rolling Vortex, I'm sure, helps. 
So the way the metagame is developed and the way the mid-range and control decks are attacking aggressive decks, I think really helped out Burn for this weekend. Not sure how that's going to develop moving forward, but when I looked at it in hindsight, it just made so much sense for to play Burn that weekend. And I literally made up my mind this, this PTQ was on that Saturday. I was going to play the Pioneer Challenge with Burn. And then I had a power outage in my apartment. I woke up at like 9 in the morning. The you know, challenge is at 10. I just had no power. My power came back on at 10.05 for the 10 a.m. challenge. And I was like, fuck. You know, but I think there were two burn decks in that top eight or something like that. It's like, it would have been one of the easiest tournaments I'd ever played. Yeah. And like, when you look at these decks that you're talking about, too, like, have you looked at their mana bases? These lands either like come into play tapped or they shock you. But yeah. Like, that's just to keep up. And if like you're. You know, you're taking two damage to cast a Grove Spiral on turn two, like, on the draw. Like, yeah, you're going to have four mana turn, you may cast Omnath and gain four life, but, like, you are significantly behind. Their creatures have gotten in a significant amount of damage, and now all their spells are live, because they don't have to worry about their creatures anymore. You know, like, at that point, they've gotten a damage, they don't care. So, I can see how Burn was a really good choice this weekend, and the deck is really good, and it's just... You know, Cedric's really smart, really thin, really handsome, all those things. Uh, I, just, I think he's more lucky to just have Patrick in his ear. Patrick's playing red yeah. decks all the time, and it just sure. happened to be a situation where red decks are great. This is like um, some uh, Magic Origins, that Pro Tour. We had an awesome team uh, with a ton of great people, and we were in this house in Dallas because the GP the week before was in Dallas. So that's where we had been testing, and then we we're flying in like midweek Wednesday or so to get to Vancouver for the Pro Tour. And the entire week, uh, Brad uh, Nelson, who was on the team, went in loving Green Red Devotion, and so did I. We had actually gone to Chicago the week before Dallas and played an Open, and I beat Brad late in day two. I made the top four. He was like top 16 or something. We both played Green Red Devotion with Dragonlord Atarka, you know, all that stuff, and it was great. But we oh, that was that was, a, that was a good deck. I wonder who, who helped come up with that one. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and uh, so we were we were both really high on it, but we knew that we were horrible against control decks. And Jace was printed in Origins, and we had figured out that Jace was really fucking good. Rinse Prodigy, and so we were worried about beating control decks. And so Brad spent the entire week coming up with a cyborg plan to beat control decks. It's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in my entire life, but that's not what this story is about, so I'm not going to get into it. I've told it before, uh, and if you really want it, you know, message me on Twitter, I'll tell you the story. But it is unbelievable and just just brilliance incarnate. But, uh, you know, other people were working on different decks. Most of us ended up being on Green Red Devotion anyway. and But we had Brian Kibler on the team, and he spent the entire week working on, like, a green-white mid-rangey creature deck. You know, classic Kibler strategy. Classic Kibler. Like, if you go into his phone and find the notes that he has for his uh, for his deck list, every deck list, so every title of the note is always the first four cards you put in the deck list. Yeah. It's always just four land elves. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I've literally seen the... the <laughs> yeah. I'm not joking. Like, this so, is an actual thing. Well, land elves wasn't legal in this format. But, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, so that's, like, the... the yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's just playing like different green, white creature decks. And, you know, he started and he starts telling people like midway through the week, he's like, guys, I think my deck is really good. Like I'm, I'm doing well with it. And I remember one of the later mornings, like close to the end of our time in, in the house, I sat down with him one morning and just played a set. And he's playing like a, a green, white mid rangey creature deck. And I'm playing a ramp deck with four main deck Dragonlord Tarka. I'm expecting to smash him. 
Like, this is me, like, okay, I'm going to sit down next to Kibler, and I'm going to get him off this stupid fucking deck that he's been working on all week. And I think he went, like, 6-4. And, you know, it's only 10 games or whatever, but the games were close, and they were difficult. And, you know, at that point, he was just edging me on skill. Um, and that was just not something I expected. Like, there weren't the games where I just dominated him. And, uh, and, you know, that was really surprising. And it gave me some pause, like, maybe I should be playing this deck. But I put in so much work with the Devotion deck. And our, our Devotion deck was good. So I, I didn't regret playing it. But in that tournament, he went 9-1 in Standard. Not surprised. His deck was unbelievably good. Because Mono Red was popular. We ended up getting the metagame wrong. There was one team. It was uh, the Ultimate Guard team, whatever they called themselves before that. The Pantheon. They play. They played a control deck. And they did very poorly. And the teams that did well were the teams that played Mono Red with Abbot of Carol Keep and the the Scissors deck, the Is It and Soul deck. And he was playing, you know, against Soul, he's, Kibler's deck has four Dromokus Command in the main. You know, against Mono Red, he's just a mid-range green-white creature deck, which is perfect. <laughs> you know, his where, deck... Where you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. His deck could not have been better. It was basically like, his deck was essentially built in the way the Hangerback Abzan deck would be built later on, but just straight green-white. So it was worse than Hangerback Abzan, but it was in that style. And, and that was the best deck in the format. So he literally had the best deck in the room. And honestly, like being green-white was probably better for that tournament specifically because of how aggressive it was. You just wanted a cleaner mana base, not deal yourself as much damage. So he just had like the perfect deck, and we all ignored him because it was a Kibler deck. And we were just like, yeah, we, can't, Kibler, we yeah. can't trust Kibler on playing a Kibler deck. But in that case, it just sort of happened to work out. And in this case, you know, Cedric just you know, listened to Peace Alley, played a Peace Alley deck, and it happened to work out. Maybe I'm yeah. underselling Cedric, you know, maybe he figured something out, but he admittedly had not played Pioneer in a while. I don't think he had a super hard read on what the metagame was. And I, it, I watched the end of his stream, actually, when he uh, won this BTQ, and, you know, he said, like, I don't think I did anything special. I just, you know, my deck was really good. And looking at the top eight, too, speaking of good decks and good players, I'm looking at the top three finishers of the tournament, and it's just killer, killer, killer. Like, you have, you know, Cedric in second place. Third place, we're having Jabberwocky. Just, you know, we talk about him a lot on the show. We talked about show him last him. week. He's top eight yeah, of three of the last four challenges we did leading into the last weekend. And then top eight, top four speed game. Showing up with Soltide Delirium yet again. I mean, like, if if you play against him at this point, you know what he's playing, yeah. right? So may, maybe this deck is actually just good right now. Or is it As just I said last week, like, yeah. I'm waiting until somebody else replicates his results. Until his experiment gets replicated, I just can't really believe it. And honestly, these results only point me further in that direction because it tells me that we have an underdeveloped Pioneer metagame. And in an underdeveloped metagame, there's less of an edge to gain from deck selection. That said, you know, this weekend was sort of an exception in, in that regard because of Burn, I think, was really well positioned. But, you know, Aspiring Spike also wins the PTQ with Monogreen Devotion. Which we haven't seen in a while either. So Monogreen Planeswalkers, I think, is a better way to put it. But yeah, sure. yeah, this is like his version of the Monogreen deck. I mean, it's the same thing. He's just like the option is: do you play Llanowar Visionary or Jaylight Ranger? He played Visionary. Otherwise, this is just the same deck. But we hadn't seen it in a while. He picks it up again. So to me, this tells me we have an underdeveloped meta game. There's less of an edge in terms of deck choice, and more of an edge in just being good at Magic and knowing your deck. And the top three players are all excellent. And then Musasabi, who's a I, I'm not sure if that's a, well, a known Japanese pro from Paper Magic, but I see this name on Moto all the time. So at the very least, they're an accomplished Moto grinder. Yeah, lots of other big names. I'm just like scrolling through. I recognize tons of other names. Um, another cool thing from Aspiring Spike, we, we joked about it. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, but luckily his deck is actually just still just good enough. He joked about it too. He might be the only person to ever win a PTQ without sideboarding once in the entire, in the entire tournament. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that that might be true. That's that's great. So, I've actually joked with him multiple times that he should have a patron tier of like three dollars or whatever for for sideboarding guides, and it should just be the sideboard guide for this deck. Yeah, you just list like forty-seven different pioneer decks. I told him no changes. Yeah, he's like, you know, no changes. You know, people always say that they're like, here's my sideboard, here's my sideboard guide uh, with the top twenty-five decks, yeah. you know, played in modern or whatever. And he'd be like, yeah, with every deck in uh, pioneer listed, every he's like, I, every single one. It's just and it, I would literally type out every one individually and then write no changes. Yeah, no changes on every single one because it just it, it fits his it fits his sense of humor. Oh yeah, it's per- it would be perfect. Time. I honestly might pay him for that. <laughs> so I, was saying, I, I think I've broached the subject before, but it was during a stream. We definitely should just like private message the guy. About yeah. It. So, uh, lot, yeah, lots of cool things going on. Pioneer here. Um, like you said, you said Burn did really well. Four Color Reclamation showed up. Nib Delight, Four Color Omnath, Team of Reclamation, Gruel Midrange. Just a whole bunch of other slew of decks that you kind of expect to see out of this. Um, you kind of wanted to talk for a second about the, the modern championship that went on this weekend as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, PTQs in, in both formats happening over the weekend. And in Modern, which I think is a bit more of a developed metagame than Pioneer, more eyes on it, gets a little bit more play, we see a somewhat less diverse metagame. This top eight is a lot of Titan decks, a lot of sort of Uro Soup decks, as they're being called, and then, you know, some sort of aggro decks, for lack of a better term. There's a Jund Death Shadow and a an Is It Blitz deck. And if the Jund Death Shadow were Rakdos Shadow, like, they would be a little bit more aligned, but... They're both, you know, sort of Swift Spear aggro decks. Actually, is, there, is this a Junless that plays Swift Spear? Yes. Yeah, it is. And that's kind of where Modern is right now. Those are sort of the three pillars. There's there's things around it, and there's also uh, there's Aether Vile decks that are doing well. Humans, Death and Taxes is sort of a fourth pillar. And then there's things around that that are also doing well. But those three things are at the top. The only... The, a lot of the diversity you see in modern is people picking different um, sub decks that exist within those categories. I actually wrote my article on SCG this week about what I think the best uh, of each of those categories is, like best in in uh, of the Ethervile decks, best of the Ura decks, and things like that, so that you don't fall into the trap of playing a worse version of something else. That sort of common uh, deck trap, but you know that's what that's what we see here is. The, Decks in that and that persuasion, we know what the really powerful things to be doing in modern are. That said, there's at least one really interesting thing in the fourth place list if you want to look at that one. Okay. That I would definitely want to talk about. This is sort of the new kid on the block when it comes to Uro Soup decks. Oh, so this is the one that I like, and I was gonna yes, mention this. I like, like it a lot too. It's actually the one I picked as what I think is yeah. the best. So I'm gonna steal your thunder a little bit. So like I said, this is the Euro Blue Soup deck that you like, and it has like the Rin and Six package that all the decks have anyway, because there's some card advantage. The card is really flexible and it's really good, but it has this robust in game and really cool thing going on because you see eight Planeswalkers in the deck, right? You see four Rin and Six, two Teferi, Time Raveler, a Teferi Hero Dominaria, and a Jace the Mind Sculptor. You know what's really good, and we've learned this from our Commander players very well. You know what's really good with cards like this, Ross? Is it is it Time Walk? It's Time Walk. Well, we don't have Time Warp this format, but we do have Time Warp. And this deck goes even further than I've seen some of the other ones, but this has a copy of Nexus of Fate in it. I hadn't actually seen that. Jarvis Yu has been playing this and tweeting about it a lot and saying that he's been doing very, very well with it. And so you have this robust game, right? Like, you have really, you have two of the most efficient word soup creatures ever printed, Uro and Omnath, right? Yeah. They both can win a game by themselves. And they're efficient on every axis is the point. Right. gain a bunch of life so you can't attack Mm -hmm. them down. They create a big body on the battlefield. You can't out-tempo them. They draw cards so you can't out-grind them. 
And then all of the Planeswalkers do the exact same thing. They're just word soup, very good, best Planeswalkers of their mana cost of all time kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so you lock these people down. And you're just trying to get to a point where, you know, your cryptic commands, your force of negations, your mana leaks, and your path to exiles are just, you, you tread water, right? Like, you get to a point where you're a little ahead, and then you cast a time warp. And it's kind of unreal what it does in this deck when you get to uptick your planeswalkers yet again, right? Or use your planeswalkers yet again and then get that extra attack or in or Uro. Attack with, yeah, attack with Uro, or create yeah. multiple triggers with Omnath again and have this huge, spend so much mm -hmm. more mana than your opponent. Yeah, and like this just feels like a commander deck, you know, and the fact that it's going to do. I always talk about commander decks versus like standard and modern decks. It's um, what is it? APM actions per minute, yeah, or whatever APS actions per second, or whatever. They're infinitely ahead, right? Like they've always got more mana, they've always got more cards. They're trying to do all this busted stuff, and that's what this deck is doing. And I think we're going to start seeing this in Magic more with the way cards are printed and the way they're going. You're starting to see decks like this happen more. This deck. I get excited looking at this deck, Ross. Like yeah. this, I want to play this. This is something that I would play at a tournament, and I would play wrong a lot because there's a lot of lines of oh, this deck. There's we also played it on versus on Tuesday. We did a gauntlet with it. So it was Corey played it for three right? matches in a row, and he was dead at the end. Just so many different things to think about. He had to go in the tank a lot. It was yeah, really tough deck to play. Mystic Sanctuary like really screws with you every turn. Yeah. And so with Mystic Sanctuary and Cryptic Command, a time warp, you can loop in the end game, or you can just time warp in Mystic Sanctuary with Uro like three times in a row and set up a Ren Emblem or your Ren is still there. Then you take all the extra turns. Because every turn, you once you have a Ren Emblem and Ren, you just plus one, return to land, retrace the time warp, and you just keep going. So like the... The thing to me with all these Uro Omnath decks is they they have good interaction, all the great blue spells, whatever removal you want to play, you know, because they're Omnath, they're red and white removal, right? Uh, you know, Solti Uro decks play black removal. So it's just pairing these, you know, card advantage sources with great interaction. And that's going to give you a strong late game. But when you're talking about playing mirrors against each other, you need a leg up. So you need to have something that goes over the top. And the first thing we saw emerge was cat combo decks. But that takes a lot of space. It's eight cards just for the combo itself. You're pr probably playing Oath of Nyssa that you otherwise wouldn't play. And it just takes up too much space. It detracts from your normal fair game plan a little bit too much. And so it's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. But with this deck, you're playing all the cards you normally would. Maybe one extra Mystic Sanctuary and four Time Warps. And as a result, you're getting this incredibly robust endgame. Essentially a combo kill where you're taking all the other turn, all the remaining turns of the game. And even if your opponent has your attacks locked down for whatever reason, and you know, Staring Bridge or something, Omnath can just kill them if you take all the remaining turns. You just dome them with Omnath enough times, you know, and, and they're dead. And you're also never gonna, you're never gonna deck because of Nexus of Fate. So even if for some reason you're completely locked out of the game, as long as you can cast a Nexus of Fate or discard to hand size, like, if, and take all the extra turns, I guess you, you still have to cast the Time Works, but as long as you can do that, you can at least force a draw, I guess. So you're never going to lose once you execute the combo. You're almost always going to win. So you've built this robust endgame into the deck while sacrificing very little from the main skeleton. And that is the, the key to me is I want the lowest opportunity cost that still has this over-the-top endgame. And that's what separates this list from the other Uro Soup decks to me and why I like it so much. Honestly, it just makes me feel things. Like I look at this list and while we were talking about it, I had already kind of done this. I literally brought up TCG Player and Star City Games and checked on like how much time warps were because it's the card I'm obviously Tempest the card time I'm warps, missing. right? 
Uh, yeah. Oh, come on, let's be real. Yeah, they're 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 not as expensive as I thought. They were ten dollars a piece. I thought they'd be like forty dollars because of you know Commander and stuff. Yeah, but, I wouldn't um, be surprised at that. But it's been reprinted at least once. Yeah, it also got reprinted in um, Explorers of Ixalan, like that, like you know, supplemental thing. There's like a there's like a what? weird premium version of it. Yeah, it, it, Explorers like this ring- of Ixalan. What the hell are you yeah. talking about, Tannen? So that was like a supplemental box that came out along with like Ixalan when it came out. It was like a, a side set where you had like cool stuff. I never opened one. I don't know what it is. I just remember that we had them at the store at our LGS, and it was like a cool gift thing that you could get for people. It was like a collector item thing. You're fucking with me right now. There. I am not. That is an actual real thing. That exists in the world mm-hmm. right now? It's an actual real thing, yes. That's weird. We're making They're too weird. many magic products. You ever think that that's the problem that's going on? So so I joked about this today with somebody. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely a person I run into uh, spoiler fatigue because it feels like we're constantly in a state of spoilers yeah. right now. As with, a content creator, I'm 100% there. <laughs> yeah, so spoiler fatigue is like, you know, there's a new, you know, like, Right now, it's like, well, we've got, we just got, we just had spoilers for Kaladesh Remastered, but we're also going through spoilers for the new Commander set. And then when all this kind of winds down, it's going to be time for a new standard set. Yeah, it's going to be time for this. It's going to be time for that. Uh, We still haven't heard about, you know, Pioneer Masters that's supposedly coming out this year, which I I assume is going to get announced that it's going to be pushed back. We'll see. Yeah, there's not a lot of time left in the year. They maybe buried the lead somewhere there and like told us or something. I don't know. Anyway, but like it feels like it always happens. The only t- the only reason I don't hate it is I get to draft new sets way more often on Arena and like that's good for I me. Play, for I wish I played more limited. I miss limited. You just should. It's yeah. not super hard to go like practically infinite. Yeah. On there. And I, I'm yeah, limited is fun. But my, my so my point though was they're making all of these sets and is that part of the reason that they have made so many design development mistakes in the last yes. two years? Right? Like yes. they're just stretched thin. They don't have the resources to do all the, the things they're trying to do. If the answer is yes, it can't be no because it could not. It could not have helped. It could only have hindered in the way that yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about. Well, here. There's the no answer way could be no, and that the effect is minimal, right? But there's still an effect, and yeah. it hasn't helped. But know, if the effect is negligible, then it, you know you, you, that's an that's an argument I could entertain. Yeah, well, we can but go I don't down think on, it's negligible. I think yeah, they're can, stretching their resources too thin, trying to release too many products increasing profits and the normal flagship products that they're releasing are suffering as a result. And we know this, right? Like we've heard it from people and we don't have to go super far down this road, but like it, a lot of the people that were hired for the play design team didn't actually do play design. They were working on other games or they, you know, out, got outsourced into some other thing because honestly, like let's, let's think about this from a company perspective. You're a company, right? You're running, you're running this company, you're trying to make money and you have, and you, and you have employees. And you hire these employees to do a specific thing, right? I actually ran into this problem when I worked in esports, right? Um, they hire you to do a specific thing, and you do this specific thing, but they see that, like, when they look at you, you're just, like, playing magic, right? You're thinking about magic, and you're talking about magic, and you're not exactly creating something for the company that is a tangible good or something that could be sold or have a, a, a dollar value attached to it, right? Like, it's hard to see that. Do you, do you, do you follow me so far? Yeah. So it's hard to find that, right? So you're thinking about this and you're like, well, they're spending 40 hours a week doing this, right? And I'm kind of watching them and I, I don't really see them physically doing much during this time. So what if like a fourth of that time they were outsourced to this other game to help with this or this product to do that or this thing to do that? Or like, what if they could just help alleviate some other section um, and I can create one less job that I have to pay for because I've got these two or three people that I've already hired for one thing doing this other thing? Right, like very good example. Uh, when I worked doing HPL, the, the Hearthstone Pro League, right, 
I moved from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm sorry, Nevada. Uh, yeah, I yeah, was going to say, sorry. there's no way you were going to make that mistake, Tanning. You lived there. They're very particular about the yes, pronunciation of Nevada. So I, li- I moved from there to Dallas, Texas, right? Um, uh, actually, it's Dallas. Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's Dumas. But, uh, do you remember that commercial? Is that correct, Mr. Dumbass? No, anyway. Um, <laughs> so I moved over there because I got signed to a contract to do commentary for Hearthstone, like for Hearthstone League, right? Like we were the, you know, it was the only one we were doing. Um, I was, I, I went into a studio four days a week and on Fridays we had like, a, you know, a meeting in the morning and then like the rest. So I was working like four and a half days a week, right? You know, like that was, that was the, the thing they told us about like, hey, you know, we'll have a show every night. And then, you know, the, the, obviously I expect some stuff to be around there. Like at least show up for sound check, et cetera. Like talk about some stuff, like blah, blah, blah. So when I signed on, I was like, man, I'm getting really overpaid for this, right? You know, like I get it. They're, they're moving me across the country. Also, my housing was included. They just gave me an apartment because they just like owned apartments somehow. Like w- one of the people that was investing in it, I think the guy was like yeah, well that's off and uh, money and a bunch of stuff. That's it quite the perk. Out, <laughs> it, came, it, it quote unquote came out of my check. <laughs> but they just gave they gave me a raise, so it would still I would still make the same amount. You get what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, you have I'm the sure, same take home pay. Look, I'm sure someone listening to this, I'm sure there was some 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 tax evasion fraud fraudulent stuff going on here. I'm not going to point fingers, whatever. Blah blah blah. There was some shadiness. There, there 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 seemed to be some shady shit going yes. on. I'm not going to. Uh, but but I accepted is, the apartment and the, I went the, to yeah, the loss. Yeah, exactly. The esports were like the wild wild west back then, but. I remember, so, like, I did this, I was like, man, like, on the weekends, I can drive up to Oklahoma, because it's, like, an hour away to go to the casino there, and I can, like, play poker. You just, you started that with, on the weekends, I can drive up to Oklahoma, and my immediate thought was, why in the fucking world would you ever drive to Oklahoma? Windstar is, like, right there. It's one of the biggest casinos in America. uh, Great, great Uh, games, because... You ended up answering the question, talking about a casino, but I was like, initially, but why? So, yeah, but why? But it's Oklahoma. There's but nothing so, so, there. Yeah. There's actually, there's a famous burger place there that makes heavy, a burger that's like really heavy with onions. They call it literally an onion burger. That's like an Oklahoma regional burger thing. Sure. I have no idea. That sounds about. delicious. Sure. I would go get one of those if I wasn't vegetarian. Yeah. But. So anyway, the, 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 the point of the thing is, so I get there and I'm like, man, I'm getting like kind of overpaid for this. Like I'll have some free time. Burgers. What's that? I thought the point was burgers. No. Anyway, well, that was Texas. Point. The point is, the point is cows, obviously. Yeah. But. Or cattle. The point is, it's like, I get there, you know, I feel like I'm overpaid for my job and I have, you know, enough free time to do whatever I want, like blah, blah, blah. I get there and when I tell you my day-to-day was hell, my day-to-day was hell. Like, um, I would get in at about 9 a.m. every day. That doesn't sound very bad. It is very but, hot you know, in Texas. I'm, I'm used to it. I'm from Louisiana and from Vegas. Like, it's <laughs> everything, everything's, Vegas, it's like 115 during the summer. Come on. Yeah. So, I walked but it's up, a dry heat. But I, it's a dry heat, Ross. You still fucking bake, dude. So, <laughs> like... I will agree that that it, it's much easier to endure high temperatures when it's dry than when it's humid. Yeah, of and course. you would agree that with that too. Yeah. The issue is it just gets so hot that that stops mattering anymore. Like yeah. when it's 115 and it feels like 105, it still feels like 105. Yeah, like you're just yeah, you're still sweating. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, and it's so the dryness actually then becomes an issue because you need water all the fucking time. I walked from uh, from Tacos and Beer, which is a, a restaurant that you're familiar with, Yes. to the hotel I was staying in on the southern part of the Strip. I think the, MG, the MGM, is that the southern yeah. part of the Strip? I think yeah. I was staying there or like right next to it. Um, I walked that distance mm-hmm. one time at a Vegas, and it, was, it wasn't the hottest part of the day. It was like evening. It was before sunset. It you still know. takes a lot out of you, though. 
and I felt like I was going to die at the end. Yeah, and I walk a lot. I felt like I would, I, I could barely make it to my room. It, and this is like, you know, maybe a mile and a half. I actually gained a decent bit of weight when I first moved back to Baton Rouge because I realized I wasn't walking outside and just sweating off pounds anymore. <laughs> you know, because also like I had a backpack every time. Like it usually was a backpack with like a couple things in it and a jacket because yeah, I would probably be wearing pants. Fifty nine degrees. I, I, I found the way to break it. The way the way that I used to do it is when I knew that I was going and I was going to be outside on the strip, I would wear like gym shorts or shorts and like you know a V neck t shirt, like something very loose fitting that was like you know breathable and nice. But in my bag. I would have a pair of sweats and like a hoodie because when you go inside, it's like 65, right? Yeah. Everywhere. It's just cold. It's just, which it's is, meant to keep you alert. Yeah. And so like, obviously like I want to do, anyway, we're, we're tangenting really bad. So that's, I, that's you know, our I get, show Tannen. Yeah, I'm aware. So I get to the job in Texas and I ended up working anywhere between 40 to 80 hours a week when I thought I'd be working significantly less because they made us put in a full day's work doing all this other stuff and then do the show. So at about 4.30, when most people are winding down their day to do whatever and leave, I'm actually you're, going you're into I'm going into my dressing room, right, to, like, put my suit on because I'm not wearing a damn suit all day, right? I'm putting my suit on, making sure my hair is okay, uh, making sure the last second notes are good for the show that starts at, like, 6, 6.30, right? Sure. So, and then I go do that for three or four hours. You're like a and, TV anchor. Yeah, it was it was awful, right? And here's the thing. You tell me ahead of time, that's fine, right? But you tell me, like, this is what I'm hiring you for, and then I get there, and that's only, like, one of the seven things I'm doing, and then everything else, like, I get it, man. Like, I get it, like, working up to it. And it was really annoying, too. Like, at one point, I remember, like, you know, leading up to it, we worked 22 straight days because we needed to do, like, practice, 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 like, make sure everything works, make sure everything works, make sure it doesn't go off without a hitch. The first episode was still a bomb because we we somebody messed up somewhere and just had music playing in the background for the first hour. I had fired like multiple people. Anyway, that's that's besides the point. But I remember like halfway through the season, there was an episode where I struggled really bad. Right, like I stumbled over my words. Um, I messed up a couple times on the show. It was obvious that like I just didn't have it that night, kind of thing. And um, you know the 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 boss, the owner, whatever. I can't remember if it was that night or the next day. Brought me in. He's like, "Hey, is everything okay? Like, what was going on there?" And I was like, "Man, I just didn't have it. It was just a bad day, um, et cetera, et cetera." And um, I remember I told him I was like, "I'm tired." And he's like, "Are you?" He's like, "What do you mean? Are you not getting enough sleep?" I'm like, "No, no, I'm, I'm getting sleep, but like, I'm doing so much, right? Like, I'm just doing so much here that I'm tired." And he's like, look, we're a startup. Everyone's doing a lot. Like, everyone's doing it. And it's one of the things, like, I hate when people answer that. Like, can you just validate what I'm saying first? Yeah. Please. Like, can you can you at least acknowledge you're hearing me and you're not giving me some platitude or some, ex- like, you make me feel bad about, like, because that's, that's a big problem in corporate America. They make you feel bad about ever, like, caring about yourself. Yeah. You know, like, they make you feel bad about taking your sick days, et cetera, et cetera. Like, call well, it, like, whatever. Well, telling you that we're a family here. Yeah, th- that's what I'm saying. And, and you know, they kept because saying this stuff. Because they're and I'm like, evil, Tannen. Yeah. And, like, I remember one time I got kind of heated about it because, like, it was, like, the third or fourth time I had this conversation. Where I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm fucking tired, man. Like, you know, like, uh, this is this is, this is is draining. I'm here, like, all day or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, everyone, you know, is working a ton of hours, blah, blah. I'm like, they don't have to be in front of the camera. And, like, I'm not saying my job is harder than anyone else's. But when I make a mistake or I have a bad day, you can see it on my face. You can see it on the product, right? <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's happening at Watsi, things are slipping through the cracks, right? These 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 people are overworked, or they're not getting enough time with this stuff. Because, like, let's be honest, they're not getting time to play test 
uh, as, as much as they should, right? Yeah. They're not getting time to play test this stuff in modern and in legacy, which which shows, and that's fine. That's not their... Well, they, they've never tested modern legacy, so... But you, but you I'm saying, like, we have people that figure this stuff out day one when this card gets spoiled. They're like, wait, hold on a second. Like, this is absolutely busted in this instance. And it's like, we don't know if that didn't come up. When it's at Watsi, it might have. You know, so uh, it's just one of those things. It's like, I, I feel like there's maybe some blame there. Maybe there's not, but when you hire people to do a specific thing and then you don't let them do it, something is going to suffer somewhere. Yeah. Things are going to fall through the cracks. Things are not going to get it. That was like the most long-winded way of putting that, but I just wanted to give a good example. And I wanted to kind of bitch about, you know, that that part of my life. Sure, that's fine. You you let it all out, Tannen. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. This is the MTG Rants podcast. True. You rant True. about whatever you want to rant about. It's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's healthy to just let it out. You don't want to bottle it up inside. Bottling is for beer. Beer is delicious. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, if you haven't caught on, Ross and I may have had some uh, some alcohol during and before this episode. I saw him. Uh, I saw him kind of like having fun with it, you know, or whatever. And I was like, I can't let him. I can't let him do it alone. The having best part was like, that you woke I was up just from having a beer. My, my favorite part of this though is that you. I woke you up from your nap to record this show. Yep. And the first, and so like whenever I get on a call with Ross, he uh, he covers his webcam, right? Like he has yeah. something that covers his webcam. So I hear him before I ever see him. So I hear Ross waking up. The first two sounds I hear before I see Ross are a a groan because I forgot that he was injured. I was like, hey man, are you okay? Is a groan, and then B is the crack of a beer can. <laughs> So I was like, this, it's going to be one of those days. So I immediately went to the kitchen and started making myself a drink. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, there's several of us in Roanoke that, that belong to a uh, a club. And um, not a uh, – they call it a club. I just distracted Ross with, like, waving my hands. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, I was, I was trying to come up with the, the – it's basically like a, a rewards program with a brewery, right? Um, now that's sure. not even the right way to put it. I don't know. We pay a brewery $25 a month, <laughs> and we get a case of beer every month. You know, you have to stop at the brewery and pick it up. You know, you're in and out. And so the first of every month is beer day, and it's the, only the fourth tannin. And that means my fridge is well-stocked with beer, and I don't want it to go skunky. That would is be that, is, that, is, that, is that a technical term? You don't want it to go skunky? Yeah, when beer kind of goes stale, it's, it's skunky. Yeah, so, uh, so I've got plenty of beer in the fridge, and it's... It's delicious. It's also medicinal because I'm still in a little bit of pain in my wrist. And the alcohol oh, okay. helps, I guess. Maybe yeah, it absolutely. does, maybe it doesn't. I don't really know, but I like it. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of get to from these PTQ results? I think we kind of covered it pretty well overall. Yeah, I think we did a great job and we're awesome. Sure. <laughs> All right. So um, apparently people kind of liked our overrated, underrated uh, stuff from one of the last episodes that we did. Is this a question that came from Brent, our editor? He's like, what's the most overrated anything and what's the most underrated Anything during the last shows. And uh, real quick before we get into this question, I liked this so much. And you liked this so much. And I think we're going to make this like a regular segment on the show. Oh, and we're going to make this it a is channel 100% in the happening. We're going to make a channel in the Discord. And by we, I mean someone who is not me because I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, but someone is going to make a channel in the Discord specifically for you all to submit just really any noun that you want. And we'll tell you whether that thing is overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Yeah, Among and that, the that's probably populace. every now and then we'll probably get a properly rated one. Yeah. But we we do have one this week for overrated, underrated. Yeah, I'm gonna from, let you answer first on this one. So this is from Fuzzy Dan, mm-hmm. and uh, they want to know about cottage cheese. Okay, you can go first. And I've given it a little bit of thought. 
I don't like cottage cheese. But I think it's slightly underrated. I think most people despise cottage cheese. It looks entirely unappetizing. And that's its problem. But it's something that you can work with. I'm never going to be... I'm never going to just, like, eat it out of a tub. Right? It's not, it's not yogurt. But you can work with cottage cheese. You can make it good somehow. You can figure it out. So I think it's slightly underrated. Okay. What do you think my answer is going to be? I think you like cottage cheese and think it's very underrated. I think it's very overrated. I think it's fucking disgusting. And I oh, do not you're, like it. You're more basic I, than I thought. I what you've seen my palate I actually like food but no yeah I, like I know it. Mostly, that's why I'm disappointed in you the biggest thing for me it's the texture you know I'm a big texture guy it I'm is a little a slimy texture. I am not a fan of slimy at all um for anyone who doesn't know this about me I'm I am like actively against slimy foods do you hate jello you know about jello with me right oh you yeah you gag food? when you eat it yeah I literally can't swallow jello my body yeah. will not let me it's so I, disgusting like, oh that's yeah. great there's I an actual. I, ha- I have an actual mental block where if I put Jello into my mouth, my body will. I, I will actually start to. Dry I wish it. my body was that smart. God, Jello is awful. Yeah. Um, it's really funny. I had honestly kind of forgotten about it because like my it's like so traumatic. My body doesn't let me think about it until I went to an LSU game a few years ago and someone had Jello shots and I tried to take one of them and then immediately just like you know spit it back out <laughs> on the ground and the person's like, "Dude, what the hell? Are you okay?" Or whatever. Blah blah blah. And I was just like. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> it's actually embarrassing. I'll, I'll go make a drink okay. or something, you know. But if you if you ever come here to Roanoke and we go out, we go out to the one club in Roanoke, remind me not to buy you Jello shots. I mean, I just wouldn't drink them. I just love to make you drink more of them. But yeah, you can okay, buy Jello shots you want. Right, cool. <laughs> um, I think this is a good segue into the mailbag submission questions as well. Well, that's where um, the question about cottage cheese came from. So yeah, so I was going to say we had a we had a really good one for the first one because I'm interested to hear your answer to this one. What was the best Halloween costume you ever wore? Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not a fan of Halloween. Why am I not surprised? Uh, I have, I want to say I have worn one costume in the last 18 years. So you've only dressed up once or you've worn the same costume multiple times over the last I've only dressed up once. Okay. Yeah, even more extreme. So uh, someone who is a fan of Halloween is Callie Anderson. Oh, yeah. They go hard. Yeah. And uh, the Andersons would often have a Halloween party. At you at the party house. that I went to at the house? I actually went to Halloween. I was there one year for Halloween. So there was, I, the one year I've dressed up recently was to go to their house for Halloween. And I, it was last minute, so I had no time to do anything. So I had to find something simple. And I ended up uh, dressing up in a suit and putting a paper bag over my head that said, I am not famous anymore. Like Shia LaBeouf did on a red carpet like four years ago. So it was a very outdated pop culture reference that no one got. Yeah, no one got it. But was incredibly easy for me to do. Right. It's 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 kind of great that you brought this up because it it reminds me of a good story real quick with us. So I was in Roanoke one year for for Halloween. I had to buy a Halloween costume there. You know, I was at the I was staying at the Anderson's house, and uh, we did it. And I remember this happened. So I am a Southern boy. For anyone who doesn't know, you know, I was born and raised in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I was like, I almost felt like some hosting duties, you know, since I was staying at the house. And I remember during the party, someone knocks on the door and like no one answers. So I go open the door and at the door, it's BBD. Right. And he is dressed up as someone. And anyone who knows BBD in a sense of humor, he kind of leans into it. Right. You know, you like 
He won't break character, like blah, 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 yeah. right? A method and, actor. Yes. And I remember this really funny, and I wish this was like on camera because it would have been like a good sitcom moment. Because I open the door, and I'm just like looking at him, and I'm trying to figure out his costume. He looks at me, and he just goes, say my name. And I go, Brian. Or I, I say BBD. And he goes, say my name. And I go, Brian Brondoen? He goes like he does it one more time. I was like Brian, like I don't get it, and he gets very frustrated because I don't realize because I hadn't watched the show yet that he's dressed up as uh, the main character from Breaking Bad, and because he actually looks just Walter like White. him. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's dressed up as well. Yeah, that's something. He's more um, Heisenberg, the the sure. alter ego. Yeah, so he's more Heisenberg, and he looks just like him, and he does it ju- like he actually he's wearing the same outfit that he wears on the show. He has like the same facial hair, like you know the the, the hair is cut. It was a really good costume because, like, he just looks the part, right? And I ruined it. I ruined his his intro. Like, he's just like, dude, he's just like, I open the door. He's just like, say my name or whatever, you know, just like him. And I'm just like, dude, I, I don't, I don't, Brian, like, I don't fucking, I don't know. Like, what am I, <laughs> you know, what's going on? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, one of the best uh, Halloween costumes ever that I did, um, I remember I really leaned into this one one year. We had a party and uh, I think I won best dressed for male. I don't remember whatever, but. I actually parked my car a few blocks down and I rode up on a bike for this to kind of lean into the thing because I went as a Jehovah's Witness. So I rode up on a bike with the helmet and everything. I had like the name tag or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I stayed in character for a decent bit of the night. Like when I knocked on the door and they answered it, I asked if they knew if they had met their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. I like literally just leaned into it like the whole time or whatever. So um, the hardest part of the costume to find was a short, was a short sleeve, like, button down dress shirt like the white shirt because yeah. like everyone just has long sleeves and like they always wear the short sleeve ones yep. you know and especially white for a short sleeve normally when yeah. you have a short sleeve button down it's patterned. colored yes yeah, yeah or like it's you know crazy colors and stuff it's never just plain white so that was actually really hard um this year i had a plan for one that i really wanted to do because it's simple and i just give out candy now but i, di- I didn't partake was i was going to um wear some kind of band t-shirt but like some kind of like black sabbath kind of t-shirt thingy i was gonna wear a blazer over it with uh i, I forgot what kind of pants i was gonna wear and then i was going to go to my barber to get him to do my hair and uh facial hair a certain way and then i was going to buy a very specific light to put under my shirt and i was going to go as tony stark but like not iron man as like actual tony stark and i i didn't i was going to not shave for the week leading up to it and i was going to get the the tony stark facial hair yeah, he has a very distinct beard. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. clean and lines. Mine, mine grows in a manner that I can do that. Like I yeah. have like the upward, the upward inflection of it, like towards the mouth, where because like you have to have the solidness right there. Like some people have it stop, and he has like that weird part that comes out. So like, I was gonna do it. I had already talked to my barber about. it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll totally pull it off. It'll be fun, you know, kind of thing. But like, obviously with COVID and everything going on, we yeah, could not do that this year. My, uh, I have two more stories along this line. Sure. One is. The best Halloween costume I've ever seen was from my friend Chris Marshall, who I'm, I'm not sure if you've met. I have met him. He's awesome. Met, yeah. Uh, that's what literally everyone says about Chris Marshall, by the way, uh, who has met him. Um, I used to travel with him to tournaments all the time when I was living in Connecticut. He is awesome. Uh, so there was one year where we both went to a tournament on Halloween weekend, and he dressed up for the tournament on the day of Halloween and he dressed up exactly like Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover. I've seen the pictures of this, and it's uncanny. Yeah, he bought the actual shirt and a satchel, and he had the sunglasses. 
He has the beard, like he he has the beard and the physique to match right. Zach Galifianakis. He already. looks exactly like him, and yeah. every all the other elements, he literally like bought you know perfect replicas. It was unreal. Was the T-shirt the wolves howling at the moon T-shirt yes. or whatever? Yeah, yeah, that that T-shirt in like the white khaki pants, Yo, or whatever, yeah. like tucked yeah, in. Yes. Did he even have the little man purse? Yeah, the thing? Sa- it's a oh satchel. My God. It's, a, it's, it's a satchel. It's a man purse. It's a man purse. But oh man, that thing is. I'm sorry, I'm doing the skit from the movie, but. Uh, that I gotta go look back on his Facebook page, whatever. That is so it good. Was, did he just yeah. recently get married? He did. Yeah, congratulations if he randomly yeah, listens to the show. Marshall. I don't know if he does. Yeah, but. Uh, I think it was All last right. month. Uh, you had one more. Or are we are we moving on to the next? Yeah, one? I have I have one more. So I I felt bad about not being a Halloween person. So I'm gonna offer our audience another story about a time where I dressed up. Um, this happened when I was in the eighth grade, and I was in our music class. And we had a project assigned where we had to pick a an artist of some kind and memorize a song of theirs and perform. And not just not just sort of like lip sync words to a song of theirs, but you know learn their mannerisms. And this was along with you know with a report, sort of a biography. And uh, to make things easier on me, because I actually I didn't really start listening to a lot of music until I got into college. And uh, so I wasn't like, you know, a musically inclined person or that wasn't just, you know, a part of who I was in middle school and high school. And so I knew that, you know, my dad had an old record player in the house. It was his when he was a kid, still has it. Um, And, uh, you know, a bunch of old records. It's got a lot of, of great classic ones. And I started listening to them to figure out a song and I ended up landing on People Are Strange by The Doors. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'll just do Jim Morrison. My mom was like, yeah, we can do that. That'll be easy. So I, I, you know, Jim, if you know anything about Jim Morrison, you know, he's got that black curly hair. And, you know, he's always wearing tight leather pants because it was the late 60s, early 70s. I think he died in 70 or 71. And, uh, you know, pretty tight shirt, but usually pretty casual shirt. And so we figured out what I was going to dress in. I had this like pair of pleather, you know, fake leather pants and a wig and and everything. And uh, at some point, and I don't really know why, eighth grade me decided like, I don't want to have to change into this before I do this presentation. I'm just going to wear this shit to school all day. Not the wig, <laughs> but the clothes. Okay. Okay. For some reason, I thought this was a good idea. Of course you did. Yeah. So I literally wore pleather pants to the eighth grade one day. They were horrifically uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a seven period day. My music class is sixth period. And by the, I'm dying by the end. And come to find out, we had been told that bringing in a record would be fine. So I literally brought in the Doors vinyl. And when I got there, the re- the music teacher was like, yeah, the needle on my record player is broken. So I guess you don't have to go. So I didn't end up performing at all because of I'd, his... I'd have lost it. Yeah. And I, I my seventh class, my last class of the day was gym. So I just didn't even, I didn't change out of my gym clothes. I just went on the bus in my used gym clothes rather than get back into the plastic leather pants. 
But not one of my uh, smartest ideas. And I'm pretty sure my mom tried to talk me out of it. She was like, that is a bad idea. And I was like, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Again, Mama Ross, really smart. Good question, Maddie J. This question is from Cody, Absent Battle Priest. What is your favorite ultimatum? For the record, I'm a huge fan of Genesis Ultimatum. Ross, what is your favorite ultimatum? This is a difficult question because none of them really stand out to me. I like Brilliant Ultimatum. I like Violent Ultimatum. I kind of remember that old magic. It was Magical Christmas Land, the deck, where you go like turn two Cobra, turn three Cobra, fetch land, explore, fetch land, violent ultimatum. Uh, that was like your your nut draw. So that that is you know cool to me. I'm sort of more the original cycle of them for nostalgia's sake, but I I'm not a you know control player, so cruel ultimatum doesn't really resonate with me. I'm trying to remember what the other original ones were. It was brilliant. There was Esper. So there must have been a Bant one that just I don't remember at all. I don't remember ex- the exact names. They they aren't exactly good. But you actually named my answer. My answer is Cruel Ultimatum. It was by far my yeah, favorite. Of I love your answer. We don't. Yeah, we didn't I love the question to know that. Yeah, yeah. I loved the five color control deck. I cast two of them in the same turn once. So that's fourteen colors of mana in one nice. turn. That, yeah, that's pretty that cool. happened. My opponent was at 10. I cast the first one. They started resolving it. I was like, hold on. Is this resolve? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I, I, I have another one. Like, and I had to rearrange all my lands or whatever. Do you remember um, also, uh, Paul Rietzel manatithing a cruel ultimatum in Pro Tour Amsterdam? I do remember that, though. I think the most memorable moment with that was the um, oh, Gabriel the, 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 yeah, arranging Kyoto his mana. Against Mateo Orsini Jones. And slow rolling it and then peeling it and like... He does the, the poker peel, and you can just see the gold, and I just freaked out because it's like the only gold card in stacks. I was like, yeah! I was like so excited or whatever, but... For, for those who don't um, know, Nassif is in game five of his top eight match at a Pro Tour and is quite behind and realizes that the only thing he can draw to get back in the game is a Cruel Tomatum, and so he untaps and before drawing his card, starts setting up the lands he wants to tap for this Cruel Ultimatum, and then you know peels the card, and it is Cruel Ultimatum. He goes on to win the game, goes on to win the Pro Tour. Uh, so, yeah, one of the historic moments in the history of the Pro Tour. I, I think overall, like just overall, especially over the span of the years, Nassif might be like the best camera player of all yeah. time, and I don't mean skill-wise. He also has the one moment Chapin and Worlds with the Mono yeah. Red uh, Dragonstorm deck, and the one, the one where they, they hit the table, I think you can hear one of them audible fuck or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, whatever. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really good... The Dragon Sword moment is is one of the... When I think of, like, back of old Pro Tours, those those moments are, like, some of the, the real standout stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right. Boom Boom Zoom asks, what card makes you think of Halloween the most? Again, it's not a Halloween person. All Hallows Eve. So I'll say All Hallows Eve. I gotta say, like, pretty much anything... Any black card printed before, like, 95. Yeah, I will say it's older cards that would make me think of Halloween more. They have a more fantasy feel to them with the art and the way the card is designed. It's a little bit more... Yeah. It's a a little bit more futuristic, the way the cards look now to me. And when I think Halloween, I think old, not, you know, later. Uh, So it's definitely something older that will make me think Halloween. Obviously, like, All Hallows Eve is just so obvious. Yeah, Will of the Wisp. Uh, there's a bunch of like witches and devils and stuff like that in the cards. So lots of stuff like that. There's probably a red card somewhere. Baron as well. Sanger, more so than Baron Sanger, Sanger Vampire that has that profile. Baron Sanger is like in the air in the art. Yeah, he's got that real regal look, yeah. like the vampires usually. It looks have. like a Dracula movie. Yeah, he looks like Dracula. That's that's a really good way to put it. Definitely, definitely. All right, I'm gonna try to read through this one. This is a long one. This is from Brent. 
Ragnar, our lovely editor, prior to the NHL lockout of 2004, the NHL had, in my opinion, the two worst in-game rules in all of professional sports. Number one, when there was no winner after a five-minute overtime, the game ended in a tie. Blech. Two, the two-line pass, where you couldn't pass the puck from your own zone to a player on the other side of the red, quote-unquote, center line. That rule allowed for stretch passes and increased goal scoring. My question is, what is currently the worst in-game rule in professional sports? So, I think it, neither of us is well-versed enough in all of the professional sports currently to have a great universal answer to this. But I think your answer for baseball will probably be well-informed, and my answer for basketball would be well-informed. All right, well, go ahead. So, let's break down to that. And the thing that annoys me the most about basketball is the foul system, specifically vis-a-vis what they call the Euro foul. So it started in European leagues and has made its way to the NBA where you intentionally foul a player on the fast break because the fast break is worth a lot more than the foul. Uh, Unless you're over the limit because, you know, free throws are worth so much. So for those who don't know, in basketball, once once your team is committed its fifth foul, so starting with its fifth in a quarter, the other team gets free throws on every foul, regardless of whether they were shooting or not. Right? So as long as you're below the limit, as long as you're between zero and three team fouls in the quarter... Uh, and this does change in the final two minutes of the half. And so there was some small details here, but let's not get into that. Um, as long as you're you know, not over the limit, then on a fast break, you just intentionally, you know, reach in and tap the guy on the wrist or something. You know, maybe you get lucky and hit the ball and get a steal or something. But you, you just, you know, flail your arms and stop the fast break. And that's horrible. It's horrible for viewers. It's horrible. It's, it's just wonky strategy you know it's it's the equivalent to button mashing that we mentioned earlier so i would like to see more done to counteract the euro foul they've made one step recently with the introduction of the clear path foul so if you foul someone and they are ahead of you like you know essentially following them from behind and there's no other defender between them and the basket then it effectively becomes a flagrant foul they get two shots and the ball but most Euro fouls are not clear path fouls. You're ahead of them, but it's going to be very difficult for you to defend because they have momentum. They're going one-on-one. Maybe there's another, you know, teammate that's running with them and it's two-on-one, you know. So it still ends up being beneficial to take a lot of Euro fouls. And I would like to see more done to do that, even if it required giving the refs leeway and determining, like, what is intentional and what isn't. Um, I would be okay with that because stopping the action there and stopping fast breaks is just horrible. It's the, it is the literal worst. Yeah, that seems awful. Like, it seems to slow down the game a lot, to, to yeah. take away excitement. And, yeah, it takes away the fun moments of the game. Because fast breaks are when you get those, like, cool in-game dunks and highlights. Like, it's just, it's horrible. I have a few answers. Um, for baseball, unwritten rules. Fuck unwritten rules. Most of them are horrible and come from a bygone era in the game. Uh, don't swing at 3-0 pitches when you're ahead. Get the fuck, get out of here. Like, let yeah. the kids play. You already have an image problem with this sport. It is like the least liked of all the major sports. Yeah, it's a very old, uh, stuffy sport. Yeah, black youth are not playing it. You know, like, we're, we're having severe problems with, like, representation in the game and stuff like that. Like, you know, kids just aren't playing the game the way they used to. Like, as many is what I'm saying. Not like they're not playing the game in the same way. Like, they're not playing it in the same numbers. And, like, that's a problem. And, like, they've been trying to market it and then you have like coaches telling their players like not to try hard in certain situations when they're professional athletes. Like I just don't get it. There's a bunch of stuff there. Um, I had another one. That's why I love Tatis. He just doesn't yeah. give a fuck about that shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
he might now, which is like horrible or whatever. But like, like uh, I don't know. Uh, there, there's there's some severe problems with the with the game and like letting the old people run it. You know, like you know, the Moneyball thing, like letting seventy and eighty year old people make decisions in this game. Like why? Like the game is passed them by. It's very very different and stuff like that. I'm not a fan of ties in football. And I understand why they have to be there, but I'm not a fan of the overtime rules in either college or professional. You don't like the college overtime rule? I think it's fine. The thing with football, it's better is, than the NFL. It's, de- it's definitely better than the NFL. Yeah, you can't you can't play football games to their natural conclusion. You can't allow games to extend too far. It's too brutal of a sport. Yeah, so you've got to come up with overtime rules that get the game over. And that's what well, I like about agree. the college rules. It generally does yeah. that. Uh, yeah, it's also very exciting. Uh, you know, like LSU played one a couple years ago where we famously lost, but it was like seven overtimes or something like that. And the game was like one of the highest scoring, most crazy yeah. games you've ever seen and, in your life. And right? even was, though it was seven overtimes, like that was probably the same length as one NFL overtime because it's so few it, plays it a, on each side of the yeah, ball. It, it took a little while, but it's it's, it's fast. Yeah, you can tell the players were... That, but like, you know, three overtimes probably doesn't take... A, yeah. In college, takes less than no, one overtime period in the NFL. You're on the field less, right? And like... I. You could tell the players were gassed at the end of it, right? But in the NFL, they've changed it a little bit recently, but it used to just be the first team to score wins. Yeah, it was a sudden so like, death, so the coin flip mattered so much. They had literal huge games. Like, playoff games get decided by this team won the coin toss, and then the other team just, like, kicked a 40-something-yard field goal and won the game because of it. And there's always the argument for some people, like, well, then they shouldn't have just put themselves in that situation. I'm like, yeah, but, like, you should get a chance to answer. Yeah. Like, that. that's how football works. And now you get a chance to answer, but only if the first team scores a field goal. They score a touchdown, the game's over. Which I yeah, actually like, kind of like. Like, if you give up a I, touchdown, come on. Like, I, I kind of like it, too. It's definitely better than it was. But, like, it just feels so wrong to watch teams play, and then they get into the overtime. One team touches the ball, like, especially with before, right? Like, when it was just sudden death. And one team touches the ball, they score, and the game is just over. The other team doesn't get a chance. That seems just heinous on a field goal i agree honestly if, if if you give up a touchdown i'm a lot more amenable to the other side of that argument like you shouldn't have put yourself in that situation how many touchdowns you give up in an average nfl game two to three yeah something you like that one on on their very first drive yeah. in overtime you know uh that's it's just it just it doesn't feel fair is what i'm trying to say like it doesn't feel even and like yeah i see you shrugging or whatever but like you played. You played to it. You played to a draw up to this point, right? Like you both scored the same amount of points. Why do you both not get the same opportunity? That's yeah, that's the point. It's because you got to get the game over with. I understand, but you should, like give the other brutal. team a chance. How do people play it. I've had it like a sprained wrist for two days, and my brain doesn't even like. I can't focus on things. If I paid you, if I paid you fifteen million dollars, would you be able to focus? Maybe. And you were in peak physical, like literal peak physical condition. I, I the 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 things that football players go through, and even other professional athletes too, but I think especially so in professional football is beyond my capacity to understand because it is such a brutal sport to play, and so physically taxing and grueling. It's beyond anything I've ever experienced. So. I don't want to even speculate there. Like it's, I know I remember when I was following more football, uh, and I I was a Titans fan, just to be clear. And so you know, early two thousands, they had those Steve McNair led teams, and I remember reading about McNair during the season, 
and he would be dealing with all these nagging injuries. And he was known for his, he was known as a sort of tough player, the kind of guy that would power through and play through minor injuries a lot of the time. And there was an interview they did once with his wife, and she was like, he can barely get out of bed on Monday and Tuesday. Like he takes you know multiple days almost completely off, or you know maybe he works out a bit or, or whatever, or watches film, but. Like, the, the recovery time is so long just from a single game, and they're doing it over and over again. Like they, they need to do more for player safety in the NFL. We've already gone through CTE and, and concussion uh, protocol. That needs to be strengthened. They need to do better. But they also, and they'll never do this because it'll cut into their profits, but they need to go back to the 14-game season, and they need to institute. They're, they're talking about playing more games now. <laughs> Yeah, they want to go. Owners want to go to eighteen, of course. Uh, I think they want to go seventeen. Sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. They, they need they need at least a second bye week for every team. Like this is it's it's just ridiculous. It it, it to me it feels like boxing, where it was the brutality of boxing that sort of diminished its popularity over time. You know, there's only so long you can watch people beat their brains out, uh, and you know now we have UFC, which I I think is a little safer than boxing, to be honest. Yeah, having submissions instead of just pummeling yeah. your opponent into a pulp is exactly. a little bit better. It's, it's a little more technical than just brute, like, trying to destroy yeah. the other person. So I, I think that, that, you know, that's one of the reasons UFC has come up because it, it sort of, you know, it's more mitigates too. the issues with boxing to an extent. But, like, football, it's just rough. And there's, you know, you they have really, they've got to do more there. So... Even if the rule for overtime there is bad from a competitive standpoint, football is unique uh, in that you really need to work to just get the game over with. Uh, like I 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. I think, I think there's a happy medium you could find. Um, the new rules that came into baseball for like just this year, uh, you know, we had a lot of changes happen in baseball because of COVID. Um, I thought that I would like them less than I ended up liking them. Um, they did where... If you had a doubleheader, because there was multiple doubleheaders where they played two games in one day, instead of playing nine inning games, they played seven inning games, and they were allowed to add an extra player to their roster. I thought those were great changes. Um, the DH, uh, so for people who don't know that, there's two leagues in baseball. There's the National League and the American League. And for the longest time, in the American League, you have a DH. In the National League, you don't. What the DH is, is they're the designated hitter. So in the uh, AL, the pitchers don't hit. And in the National League, the pitchers hit for themselves. Um, they're very different. Right, like American League teams on average score a little bit more runs because they have the extra hitter that's an actual trained hitter. It's not a guy trying to be a pitcher who's trying to hit. But in the National League, you have a little more. Um, what's the right word? They said there's a little more room to manage in there. Like you can have like there, there's some moves that can be made to kind of do some stuff. This year they had the national, they had the uh, DH in the National League as well to kind of like help you know cut down on injuries. It, you know, blah blah blah. I think that rule should stay. At first, I was kind of against it because I'm a traditionalist. I like the wooden bat. You know, I like old school kind of things when it comes to, you know, the, the rules. The wooden baseball, bat which is, is a funny. safety thing too, right? Like if yeah. professionals use an aluminum bat, you would see... A lot of... You'd see more people die. Yeah. Um, so we, There's only been one person to die in a professional baseball game. Yeah, in a professional game. Someone dies every year in, in baseball. Though, yeah, in, baseball in you know, college yeah. or throughout. But in, in, it, yeah, in, in Major League in, Baseball, there's only been one. Even independent stuff too, like there's there's been some wooden bat stuff too, but like people get seriously injured too, like. But anyway, that's that's that's, that's not the point. I actually like this rule when I thought I wouldn't, so I thought I'd take this question a little bit longer. And I think it's just good for the game in the future. It'll help keep your pitchers healthier. It'll um, it'll increase. 
entertainment within the game. And I also think it'll help create more jobs in baseball, which sounds weird, but players will get to play a little bit longer. There's more spots for players who are like, you know, hey, my knees are kind of bad, so I can't really play the outfield anymore. And you already have a first baseman, but I can be your DH kind of thing. It'll help uh, elongate some careers. You know, because yeah, there's definitely David, a lot of David Ortiz DH'd for Boston for probably seven, eight years at the end of his career. Yeah, he would he would play like three games in the field during the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was sort of he was the backup first baseman and the DH. Yeah, right. All right, Ross, I got a I got a question for you. We kind of we kind of touched this like for a second before the show, but I heard that you got a new product from Barrister and Man the other day, and you tried it out and you liked it. Well, you've been it's not it's not even new. I actually have two of them. You've just been urging me to use it. Yeah, and I'm not someone who shaves, as uh, you know, evidenced by you know my face. Uh, <laughs> it's evidenced by the large amount of hair on my face. Yes, <laughs> but I used the aftershave uh, last week for the first time after trimming down my beard and trimming the you know the neck hair down, um, and it, it was great. You know, it it I don't know, so I don't use an actual razor. I don't shave all the way down to nothing. Mm-hmm. I just have a beard trimmer, and so I'll just take the the guide off and use the trimmer. So I shaved. I just trim it down to stubble. Why do uh, you do that to yourself? Hmm? Just get a razor anyway. Continue. I mean, it's is there's is there something bad about that? It's it, just anyway. It's, it's so easy. Yeah, I understand it's easier. Yeah, I get it. And uh, so that's all I do. And you know, you get you get some razor burn. So I'm used to doing that like before I take a shower. When I know I have to, you know, tr- uh, trim up my beard, I'll get up a little bit earlier and give myself a little bit or ten or fifteen right? minutes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll soothe it a bit there. But the uh, the aftershave just, I don't, it just does it. And uh, you know, you warned me about maybe like a, a little sting early. I guess with the, the little stubble I left, that's not really there. Uh, yeah, I go a little deeper than you do. I use an actual blade. Yeah. Yeah. Did you use? I haven't used a razor since my senior year of college i just started doing it again this year actually within like the last calendar year i used to just do uh like a very low guard on my neck and a little bit bigger on my face you know a little bit higher on my face because i liked the the five o'clock shadow look but like i like to be you know with you know my job and stuff and looking a little more professional i wanted to be a little more well kept you know well rounded it just looks cleaner yeah yeah it also just looks better right you know like i'm not saying the other stuff looks worse but you just look clean look it's a classic look I mean, I've got I I've gone to the barber shop and gotten a, a shave or a beard trim where they like they'll shape the lines on your yeah, cheekbone so and on your yeah. neck, and they go you know they're using a, a straight razor, and like that that is great. And you, it's hard to beat that man. It feels so good. Oh yeah, it's my favorite thing in the world, and it's literally the the first thing I'm doing when COVID dies down and things are safe. Is Dude, let's getting, go together. I'm dead serious. I'll, I'll, I'll fly up there to hang out. <laughs> oh, th- there's a place downtown here that does it with like the hot towel and they give you a little massage. The hand during... massages? Yeah. Sh- oh, on the shoulders. Okay. Yeah. It's, I've seen them where they do hand massages too, but yeah. No, a little, little like five minute shoulder massage at the end. It's really nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm hundred percent down. Can we, uh, can we talk to them and let us bring drinks in? Mm, oh, they'll give you, uh, alcohol. Actually, they have it there. Just give me a scotch. Yeah, that's like they'll pour you a scotch. I will, well, that's going to want. I want a scotch that could order its own scotch. <laughs> yeah, uh, that might cost you more. I don't, I've I've actually never drank there alcohol. I usually just get some water uh, because I'm usually getting like early afternoon is often when I schedule it. It's but, perfect time. Perfect time. Let's, let's go. Yeah, let's when I'm there with you, I'll I'll, I'll yeah, get. I'll, hopefully, they can make me a gin and tonic. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. I'm sure we can we can make this work. We'll just be buzzed all day. It'll be great. Oh, I I'm I am no stranger to being buzzed all day. I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, if um, we'll say I, I'm I'm glad that you liked the product. I'm I'm a huge fan. I use it weekly myself, and I don't know. I just the results of it are are noticeable. Like my skin is better. You know, I don't get as many razor bumps. I don't get as much razor burn. You know, anything like that. Like I love the soothingness of it afterwards. My favorite part is the scent. Because yeah, it's on uh, it your neck smells and amazing. it just kind of wafts right up into your nose. And you're like, Which one do you have? Great. I use I have the Seville and I have Cool, but I haven't used the Cool. I want to try the Cool out really bad because I have lavender and it, like obviously I love it or whatever, but I want to try out the other one. Also, uh, you I'm going to probably be tra- like Cool if you, because you've liked the mint stuff. Like uh, Cool yeah, is in, yeah. the, in that realm. Speaking of that, I'm actually uh, I I, I kind of noticed I took a shower before we did this, and I'm almost out of my uh, like the Cool Mint uh, soap. Like I'm, it's almost done. And I was kind of sad, but then I was like, "Oh man, I just get to try another one," because I got some, I got some more new ones in the in the mail. So I'm interested to try out some of the new scents that are coming. They had some Halloween stuff. Um, I don't know if it's still in stock or not, but I know uh, they were trying to get some more of it out recently. So make sure if you check it out, there might be some cool Halloween stuff, and hey, maybe it might be on sale. I don't know. Um, big fan of all the products that I've gotten for them so so far. So make sure you check out Barrister and Man. Super easy to find. You, we follow them on Twitter from our Twitter. If you need to find it that way, they have a website. Super Man easy to has navigate. Two ends. That's all you need to know. Yeah, super easy to navigate. Super look, I get through their website and order stuff. You should be able to. Holidays are coming up. These are great gifts In case for you didn't know Tannen is ancient, so Yeah, I'm super old. Um I will say when I was in high school, I didn't even have a computer or the internet. Same. So, and I'm younger than you. <laughs> That's weird. But um if we, I can do we it, got you a can computer do it, um, with the internet my senior year of high school. Yeah, that, that was me. It was my senior year. It was Veterans Day of two thousand five. I remember God, when it came. My senior year was 2003, so we're not... Wait. 2002, 2003. I thought I was like... Wait, I'm like four years older than you. Well, I graduated in 06, but this was Veterans oh, okay. Day 05. Yeah, I graduated in 03. Okay, so that makes sense. Um, so anyway, uh, these, these make great gifts for anyone in your family, especially that special guy in your life, uh, that the boyfriend, your your best friend, your best man. You know, uh, I, I was about to say, I, I actually got some for, for my buddy the other day. I'm going to get my brother some more of the stuff, too. The one that I keep talking about, the uh, the face brush to, to lather it up. I'm just obsessed w- I, with that product. I use the beard oil, by the way, too. Oh, oh how was it? It's fantastic. Yeah. I really, you know, I did so comment good. on your beard earlier. It looks a little more like kept. It looks a little better. I'm not going to lie. It's actually noticeable. It, and I, honestly, I, ha, I haven't even been using it every day. I think if you just use it a little bit, it just sort of, you know, it lingers a little bit. You wash it out a bit, but it just conditions the hairs. And it, it I, I like, I literally used it the first time. And then I looked in the mirror. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. It, like you can actually great. see the difference right away. And like, I'm telling you right now, I'm not just saying this in the show, but like, I like looking at your beard, it just seems healthier fuller thicker i'm not saying it, it does it but it looks like better and, and that's healthier. the thing when you separate the hairs and you comb them evenly it does make your beard look fuller because if when you have it sort of haphazard you're going to end up with patches that aren't as full because it's just randomly where hairs haven't gone based on you know based on whatever but when you comb everything through and make it neat then you know your beard naturally is full you just need to comb it neat so that the fullness is projected. Mm-hmm. I wish I had enough of a beard to actually understand this, but like, I don't know if I could ever let myself grow it out that long. Maybe I will at some point. We'll see. Maybe it's like something I should just do at least once in my life. I figured out. But make I, sure I'm you upset check out- that I don't get to go out with how fierce my beard is looking right now. It looks good. I'm not going to lie. But 
Uh, again, Barrister and Man, check it out. Uh, make sure you use our code uh, so you know, so they get to know where uh, you came from. You also get to save a little bit of money yourself. It's 15% off. As of right now, it is still uh, Pioneer Cast for the code for 15% off. That hasn't changed with the name of the cast changing. Um, we'll get eventually all that stuff changed in the future. Uh, the Twitter hasn't changed either. Any of this stuff. We're going we're gonna to steadily work through that, a.k.a. Yeah. Ross and I are really lazy. Yeah, so exactly. we're gonna eventually you get know where to, to find us. It'll be fine. When it updates, we'll let you know. For now, you can go to the same places, but we're the MTG Rants Podcast. Speaking of places they can go, Ross, where can they go to hear more and see more of you? Number one place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunneds, H-U-N-N-E-D-S. That's the best place to get updates on all of my content and ask me you know, questions about anything. I try to get back to people as much as possible. Then my written content on Star City Games goes up on Tuesday morning at 11 Eastern. This week's article, which is live now, is about the, you know, deck selection trap of playing a worse version of another deck. Essentially, similar strategy as another deck, but just, you know, overall less powerful. And I go over different categories that exist in modern and tell you which ones I think are the best of those categories and tell you to avoid the other ones. Uh, then there is my non-written content on Star City Games, which is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're there on the Star City Games Twitch channel from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We take questions live from the audience. We have a good time. We play whatever formats are relevant to competitive magic. We'd love to have you watch live. If you can't, though, you can find those episodes on the Star City Games YouTube channel the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern. So a little over a day later. And then finally is my personal Twitch channel. I am Ross underscore Miriam, M-E-R-R-I-A-M. And now we have the return of the SCG Tour online, so I'm going to be streaming the, uh, what is, I can't remember what they're called, challenges, flights, whatever the events to get you into the qualifiers are. So I'm going to be streaming one of those on Friday and one of those on Saturday, hopefully just the one on Friday if I do well enough, and hopefully playing on the Sunday event. So you're going to see me playing a lot more standard on the stream. I appreciate any and all support along any of those axes. Tannen, if they want to hear more of your rants, where should the people go? Just so you know, they're called satellites. That's um, it. It's a yeah. satellite. It's all good. For myself, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. You can find me on Twitch under just the. I'm sorry, under no the. It's just Tannen Grace. Um, I actually do think my Twitch channel might go live sometime soon. I, I'm not hating uh, the new standard format. I've been playing it a little bit. If you're going to be playing a decent bit of standard soon, uh, me and you have been talking about getting some streams together or we play against each other. I'm actually super interested in that and want to do that because it helps me get better. And uh, I'll tell you this right now. I am rusty <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> high-level magic. Uh, also, I'm probably sure myself doing quite a bit of drafts in, uh, of the new old set here. I'm a big fan of Kaladesh. Uh, I usually fire up the stream quite a bit for some uh, for whatever the new format is. The last format was kind of a little more lame duck than I thought it was going to be, so I played a little bit less on stream than I thought I would. I kind of just put in the paces, and I, I don't like putting out an inferior product, if that makes we sense. We should we should dual stream some Kaladesh remastered draft. I was good at that format. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Um, and it, helped, it helped build you a collection online so you can, you can keep these decks up. So um, as for the cast itself, it's still at, at Pioneer Cast on Twitter. Or sorry, Cast Pioneer on Twitter. If you type either one in, you'll be able to find us. Um, that's where you get all the news notes and all the other worthy stuff that we're going to post on there. We retweet a lot of deck lists, a lot of cool things going on in there. And anytime you want to have any dunks on Mir Ross, best place to put it. If you have any problems with us, at Shaheen Sarani, we don't want to hear it at Cast Pioneer. He's the one that takes care of everything. Yeah, he is our complaint department. 
Yeah, if you go onto Twitter, we have a link in there to our Discord. You've probably heard us mention it multiple times on the show. Our Discord is probably my favorite part of this podcast overall. Let's be real. The community is... Discord. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. There's a lot of cool things going on. There's always some people in there. I pop in and do AMAs from time to time. A lot of magic talk going on there. A lot of non-magic talk going on there. We've got sports sections. We've got pet sections. We've got music sections. We've got TV. We've got all kinds of cool stuff in there. But one of the biggest stuff that's going on in there is if you are a patron of the show, there's a lot of cool things in there just for you. You heard us talking about the mailbag section earlier. You get chances to ask us questions live on the show. We'll read out your name. Um, there's, there's a channel in there just for y'all where you get to ask questions more to me and Ross. Ross, before every one of the events he plays in, posts his deck list plus his sideboard guide for free in this Patreon section, so make sure you check that stuff out. If you wanted to be able to become a patron of the show, you go to patreon.com slash pioneercast. It's still called that for now. I don't know if we're going to be able to change that. We're going to look into it in the future. If it's going to... If it makes people redo stuff, we might... I don't know what we're going to do. We'll I don't know. Brent will figure it out. Yeah, Brent will figure it out. Exactly. Brent, get on it. But... Also, it helps pay his salary, and that's a big deal. We want to make sure yeah, that Brent so he's gets incentivized to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Brent, <laughs> it's a get on it. System. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know all of you want Brent to be able to eat. We don't want Brent to have to starve. He's been eating ramen way too many times here lately, guys. Yeah, we Girls. need to get him up to at least cup of noodles. Yeah, cup of noodles. Oh yeah, cup of noodles. That's right. We made homemade ramen the other day. It did not come out great. We did not. <laughs> we were missing something somewhere, but. Um, anyway, I imagine that is a tricky thing to do well. Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I was inspired by uh, Fournier. He's been posting photos of doing it, and it looks like better than at a restaurant. And yeah, I, I need to. I, I saw need to pick his photos, break. and they looked fantastic. I was starving every time I'd see. It. I was like, dude, I need ramen so bad, but like, I just don't want to go because like ramen is one of the places that like I just can't bring myself to eat right now because I will go a place, pick up food, and bring it home and eat it, and ramen is just not the same. Yeah. It's so much better to eat it there, like fresh and hot out of the kitchen. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely something you don't want to like cool. Anything fried is also something you don't want to order. Yeah, like you know, my wife was like, "Look, I'll bring it home on the way. It's on the way from work. Like I'll I'll grab it on the way home." It's and I'm like, not, "No, you know, no, ten just, minutes is is long enough to to make it not." It's probably it's probably like more the, like twenty. You yeah. know, Martin's right near me has great cauliflower wings, and I could order them. You know, they're on Grubhub or whatever. And, but I don't want to get them sent to me. If I ever order Indian food, I never get non. Non sent via delivery is so much worse than it just getting fresh out to the table. Uh, just If you're going to do Indian food, just pick up some non at uh, your grocer. And then like when you order it, put some in your That's in your oven. fucking smart. Jesus Christ, I am, you're a genius. I am. Yeah, it's 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 unreal how smart That's I am. A gift. It is, keep it is that in a bushel basket. Look, it's it. Ross, you may think of it as a gift. It's also a burden. Just so you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to keep up with this. It's, it's only a burden when you're teaming with Brennan Decandio. Dude, at the end of the day, my neck hurts so bad because my brain is just so big that my head is heavy, <laughs> and it's just it's it's unreal. It. The only thing that makes me not notice at the end of tournaments with you and Brendan Candy is my back hurts so bad at the end of from carrying y'all for the two days. So that is the only thing that keeps up with. That's why I have such a good and well defined like back. Yeah, I, I've been trying to lose weight to make it a little bit easier on you, <laughs> uh, but the the beer is just too delicious. It, well, he's also a dad now. He's probably put on the dad ten or whatever, so he'll he'll make yeah. up for it. So, but, but the thing is, Brennan though is it was sort of half and half. Half the time he showed up with an unplayable pile. And half the time he just fucking crushed everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 like to give him a lot of shit. He was definitely the, like the heart and soul of the team, so it's fine. I think I was the most consistent. You were you were the most. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, you were the most variance driven. You know, you either had like an absurd record or like whatever. And then Brendan was close to that, but he was a little more consistent. I just knew that anytime that Brennan had a good deck, 
we weren't going to lose. Nah, because <laughs> it was not happening. But like Brennan's issues were in the, the specific deck that he was playing. You know, my issues could happen in a myriad of different ways. I was playing modern. There's more variance there. Sometimes there's deck selection. Sometimes I just ran bad. Sometimes I played bad. Sometimes it was a combination of all three. Brennan was basically just playing against himself. Like, can he play a real deck or does he choose some awful pile of nonsense? And then I just never lost. Yeah, because you got to play the same deck over and over again. Yeah, I, I, I switched a little bit. Yeah, you changed one to two sideboard cards every week. I changed a color in a couple of times. I played like red, blue straight at some point. But anyway, everyone, thanks for listening this week. And uh, we'll see you all next week. It's it's a, it's healthy to just let it out. You don't want to bottle it up inside. Bottling is for beer. Beer is delicious.